0: Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We have a wonderful evening's entertainment lined up for you, one that will provide several hours of pleasurable relaxation and diversion for you and your family. 17 not admitted without parent
1: hello and welcome to another episode of dead city driven the only podcast that strains the pulp from its oj with an ill fitting leather glove I'm Brandon Windish. And I'm Chris Holcomb. And we are the heads of programming in this year' Dead City. And in this episode,
2: decreed by the higher-ups. Our bosses. The drive-in gods. We have been tasked once again to program a specially themed double bill for the ravenous hordes of mutants and madmen outside our projection room door. But before
1: we get to that, um, I got some patchwork to do. Patchwork? Yeah, man, last week uh, we had that acid rainstorm that ate through some of our roofing, so I'm just going to go ahead and patch it up. It'd suck major butt if our projector got soaked next time it rained. Or even worse, my beloved Ghoulies 2 poster. Say, uh, Brandon, what are you
2: using to patch?
1: Well, I found a stack of old comics in the ticket booth. Uh, Basically, I'm just... Tearing up the pages and mixing them in this bucket of water with some um, Elmer's glue. You stir it up nice and thick and check it out. Instant patching. Holy shit,
2: dude. Look at these comics. Doc Savage, Black Mask, The Shadow, Weird Tales. Brandon, these comics are 70 years old and you,
1: you're using them to patch the roof? Uh, yeah, they're called pulp magazines for a reason.
2: No, no, you can't tear these up. These are collector's items. Look look at these beautiful covers. Mm -hmm. You just ripped up the first appearance of Buck Rogers. Uh,
1: More like fuck Rogers. (laughs) Okay, look, I got work to do, Chris. We can't afford to sell soggy popcorn, man. We could if you didn't destroy these priceless works of art. Uh, Disposable art, my friend. People don't come here to read comic books, okay? They come here for blood and boobs on a giant screen.
2: Don't you get it, you fucking moron? These are the progenitors of the trashy films we show. Pulp heroes are just as prevalent on screen as they are in...
1: Issue one of the Argosy. Pulped.
2: Hold on. That's it. Let's program a double bill of Pulp
1: Heroes. (gasps) Oh, Chris. Okay, let's do it.
2: Today we have a very special guest with us, a very near and dear friend of mine who I have not seen in quite some time and uh, knew that he would be perfect for joining us this evening because of his vast, vast knowledge of all things pulpish. You may know him as the coach, but I know and love him as Mr. Dino
1: Leto. How's it
3: going, Dino? Great. Thanks for having me, guys. Going to have a a fun show tonight about some cool stuff. No,
1: we're not. We are specifically trying to have the
3: worst show that a human (laughs) being could ever have. Then you're in luck because you've got the worst guest you could ever possibly have. So, okay, we're already off to a good start. Thanks for listening.
2: Yeah, all right. So now that we've got that out of the way, um, I wanted to ask you, Dino, really, um, what if you could, you know, explain to us what is your relationship with with pulp stories, pulp novels, uh, comics—you know, things that kind of fall into that category.
3: Well, it's uh, very intimate in the uh, non-sexual way. Um, <laughs> it uh, pulp's comic books, uh, magazines of that nature have literally been part of my life since as far back as I can remember. Uh, yeah, currently, as a long, very long, time. very long time ago, uh, as an adult, I have a very extensive. Um, uh, pulp and paperback collections, well, as a very extensive, extensive comic book collection. I buy and sell them on top of that for a livelihood and, uh, just a huge fan of the genre, uh, of all eras and, and pulp fiction, uh, as it's classically known, exists today, uh, Just as much as it existed in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, and beyond. So most people may not really know this, but I mean, what's the difference between something like, you know, the pulps and comic books? Because there is a difference, right? There is a big difference. The pulps traditionally are the precursor to what we know as the American comic book. Uh, They were basically short stories with some illustration in them, but not in the sequential format as you'll see a classic comic book story. And what we see today as adventure paperbacks are the descendants of pulp magazines. So when you buy a paperback, that's what a pulp used to be, disposable fiction of the time. So
2: it's not necessarily like a visual medium like the comic
3: book is. It's
2: more of like you're dealing with prose. You're dealing with actual stories. So you actually had to read in order to enjoy these. Correct.
3: Uh, You know, kind of the... Uh, a comic book is the baby of uh, newspaper strips and pulp magazines. They got together, they hooked up, created a baby, ah. and that is what became what we know as the modern comic book. Okay, so let me kind of throw
2: this out here too. Um, you know, we're a show about genre. I'm sorry, about genre films and everything like that. So, um, what people might know, if, like from Italian cinema, the idea of giallo and everything like that, would that be kind of like a pulp story? In, in Italy, as like we would have here? Yes.
3: You know, there are certain elements in a pulp story, whether it be the background of the character, the motivation of the character, the supporting cast, the villain. Um, you know, I, I don't want to use the word camp, but something certainly exaggerated. One thing that we talked about before going on the air there's a show on um, HBO Max called 30 Coins, which is a Spanish horror show, and that's a very pulpy show. As to give you an example, one of the lead characters on that is a demon-fighting boxing priest who also drinks shots of whiskey. That's a pulp character. He has a lot of unique elements that aren't traditional in a lot of adventure fiction.
1: Now, why, why is it that there seems to be a stigma attached to that? Like, as opposed to just being a title, it's kind of become a, um, you know, an adjective,
3: well, okay, first of all, the, the meaning of a pulp really is it's it's the original books were made out of pulped paper, hence the term pulps. And they were even called the bloody pulps because of the violence. That kind of fiction and cinema and TV, guys, has been around forever. They just didn't attach that title to it. So when you attach that title to it, it gives it a certain twist and flavor. Quentin Tarantino made a whole movie of it. You know, that's a pulp fiction movie the character exaggerated the violence is exaggerated you know the circumstances are are uncommon but those elements have been around forever just of late they've kind of you know pigeonholed it into a certain type of genre entertainment but it but it's been around forever it really has and
2: does it go kind of beyond you know genre itself into different sorts of genre i mean is it specifically like a crime sort of thing negative
3: negative uh science fiction horror Romance, spicy stories—you know—it it goes. And by spicy stories, back then that was considered kind of the porn of its time. Uh, and you know, it would be a have a cover of a young lady with a tear in her skirt about an inch, an inch. <laughs> <laughs> oh my Ooh, God! Risque. And and how? Or com- the
1: shadows, dick is out. <laughs>
3: Well, I, that one I've never seen. That'd be quite a collector's item. Just in Who my dreams. Which lurks right. in the pants of men? Uh, the shadow knows. So, you know, those stories like Zorro is a pulp, you know, um, the Lone Ranger to a very large degree. So there are different genres. The that, Edgar Rice know, Burroughs stuff. 100%. Fu
1: Manchu. 100%. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, you, Dino, have spent some time around comic books. You're a... Uh, You've been around a little right? bit. What? What? Doing what?
3: Uh, well, I've I've <laughs> I've had just about every job in the comic book uh, field that you can uh, think of, uh, but currently uh, I have two two different jobs. Uh, one is I buy and sell collectibles for a living. So much fun, you know. And the other is I'm what's called a uh, CGC facilitator, meaning I. Um, witness books for famous people to sign and get them graded accordingly. People give me their expensive comic books to clean and press and to gussy up a little bit, not restore, but to clean up a little bit and to get those graded. So I've uh, I've had a ball that I've been very fortunate in my life to do what I love to do all my life. And a lot of people can't say that.
1: So if I give you 50 bucks, can you make my spawn number one worth $3,000?
3: No, but I can probably make it worth about $300. No way. Is it really worth that much these days? I have seen graded copies. Now, they got to be perfect 9.8s yeah. yeah. go for around that amount. That's insane because they, they, and if they you printed the like new, 60 million of them. <laughs> and if you have the new stand version, that goes for more because it's rarer. Oh, that's the one that I'm pretty sure I You want to look for the UPC code. If you got the okay. UPC code, call me.
1: All right. Wow. Okay. Well, I guess I will be doing that. Um Cause I don't, I don't need that comic anymore. What's the, uh, what's the worst um, con you've ever been to? Oh, no, you know what? No, wait. That what a terrible question. What's the best con you've ever been to?
3: It's the best cons that I went to back in the day were probably um, Dragon Con because, and it's still this to a degree, as I understand that I haven't been in some time. Because that was basically just a orgy with clothes on and sometimes not clothes on. Uh, <laughs> just crazy stuff happened and you know, we shot just tons and tons of video and interviewed and just set up a camera and uh, crazy, crazy fun stuff. Only and, comic
1: book nerds would have a orgy with their clothes on. And <laughs>
3: I, I had so much fun at that convention. I came home with pneumonia not once, but twice. That's how much fun I had at Dragon Con.
1: Nice. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I um I have an aversion to crowds, uh, large groups of people, um which is perfect for running a drive-in and large groups of nerds too. <laughs> <laughs> and but when I lived in L.A., I w- went to Comic Con the the ultimate Been there. Yeah, and San Diego I Comic-Con. Yep. tell you, and
2: this was in the whale's vagina.
1: Of course, yes. yes. In San, good old San, uh, San Diego. Diego. San Diego. We accidentally took a train into Mexico. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was weird. Um, anyway, uh, we went and it was uh, – my friend and I went. It was very nerve-wracking. I was a smoker then. It took me, you know – 45 minutes to get outside to try to have a a smoke. Then by the time I... 45 minutes back in to get to where I was and then panic comes and I need to go out again for another smoke. It was one of those situations. I just remember more than anything having to... Aside from like rubbing up against a bunch of sweaty Han solos was um, they would... the, The swag they would give away and how people reacted. I will never forget I was almost trampled by a crowd of Comic-Con attendees over a fucking Skinwalkers movie poster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will know, do you even know that movie Skinwalkers? Yes. That's like, I I mean, I was almost killed because they just wanted to get their hands on fucking Skinwalkers. <laughs> there
3: was, at, at New York Comic-Con one year, Funko does a big party, you know, Funko Pops, and, you know, they have the exclusive exclusives at their party if you could get into, and as I understand it, they... We're tossing them out into the audience from the stage. Oh my God! You know that—that that was a whole stabbing. thing. So it was like the Rolling
1: Stones concert. Uh,
3: <laughs> and, and I and, and I like to, Altamont, man. Like, New York Comic Con. <laughs> I like to get those exclusives because, look, no lie, sell them on eBay, you make your trip money back. Yeah. You know? I mean, I collect a few, certainly. But uh, they, that's how they changed it. Now it's a ticketed thing, and you have to, you know, go. And sometimes you don't win the lottery to go. It's like what kind of stories I saying games. I got shivved by a nerd at Comic Con. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, I've, I've seen.
3: I, I have literally seen nerds run up and rip, rip giveaways from another nerd's hand. that's what was happening with skinwalkers yeah yeah yeah. Worf is punching
1: fucking actual denise crosby (laughs) in the stomach it was crazy um all right well let's get into it uh we got we gotta program this shit um hold on before we even get into that let's let's we kind of went off about uh about other stuff but pulp also exists in film form absolutely it's still to this day. Yes, and I think that um, and knowing some of the picks that are here today, or at least knowing my pick, it's th- maybe a looser interpretation of what we would assume aesthetically as pulp. But it's still there. It's it's still prevalent. So whether you know it or not, and I think some of the picks tonight are going to make an interesting um, conversation. For, uh, for pulp. So, Chris, go ahead and uh, give us yours.
2: All righty. Well, I decided to get a little extra pulpy here, and my choice is Remo Williams. The Adventure Begins.
0: America's top security experts have chosen this man. Don't take any chances. This guy's a killer. For a special mission. But first, he's got to pass. One little test. Speak English. Does your nightingale sing? Hold it. Concentrate. This is no time for prayer. Remo Williams. The adventure (laughs) begins. Before he's through... He'll learn to move faster than a bullet. Excellent. Not bad. Hear the heartbeat of an enemy. I'm trying to need to borrow him for a while. And leave no footprints in the sand. Now, based on the Destroyer novel series that sold over 30 million copies, America's favorite tough guy comes to the screen. In a movie big enough to hold him. Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. Produced
2: in 1985, directed by the one, the only Guy Hamilton. Yes, that Guy Hamilton, who was a James Bond director, directed Goldfinger, of all things. Yeah. Um, I think part of what m- made me make this choice, though, for uh, Remo Williams is the fact that uh, the Character in the movie are based off of the destroyer novels that were written by Richard Sapper and Warren Murphy, which I guess in the early nineteen seventies they were a series of, for all intents and purposes, pulp novels. You know these are, you know that were just kind of cranked out. Uh, I think what there's one hundred and fifty three of them currently to date. Is that the number I was going to say? There's one hundred and fifty three destroyer novels yeah that's insane so um the movie stars fred ward uh who i think is absolutely fantastic in this mm-hmm. film uh broadway star joel gray Wilfred brimley known for oatmeal and diabetes and, and his mustache yes and that mustache Ooh. um jay preston and yes captain janeway herself kate mulgrew
1: Oh, that's a very pulpy cast.
3: Yeah, it is a very pulpy cast. <laughs> I, I'm going to disagree with you calling her uh, Captain Janeway. Yeah, she's much better known as Mrs. Columbo. Chris. Oh I shit! Mean, uh, come on now. Oh, <laughs> oh shit! Excuse me, excuse me. I'm sorry. Uh, one more question. Sorry. One more question.
1: Actually, uh, Dino, Chris is he he knew that and he agrees. He's just playing stupid yeah, until the end when he's going to reveal.
3: <laughs> I, ju- I just stepped on his big end. Yeah, that's all right. That's right.
1: Thanks a lot, Dino. Chris is Nice. What not you uh, read? Tell us what is what the hell is Remo Williams? The adventure begins about is that? Is it a prequel to Little Nemo: The Adventures in Little, Slumberland? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes,
2: actually, no, it is a prequel to. No, uh, what do you want me to read the synopsis? Yeah, here? read it
1: as James Mason as Captain Nemo, <clears throat> re- playing Remo Williams.
2: Captain Nemo playing Remo, an officially dead cop. Is trained to become an extraordinary unique assassin in service of the US president.
3: That's Boy, it, is, it. it tells you a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> that's you know?
2: it. There it is. There's the movie. <laughs> I mean, there's so much fucking formula to this damn series of books and everything, but that's that's what your synopsis is. So yes, they they take a cop and they make him dead, and then they take that dead cop and they train him, and he becomes an assassin who works for the president. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That doesn't Amazing. sound pulpy at all. Not one bit. Not one bit. Not everybody, Chris, loves Remo Williams' well, The
2: Adventure Begins. You have two people in this world, okay? You have people that love Remo Williams, and then you have the people that are wrong.
1: And what we like to do is we like to, to read some of these uh, stupid reviews of people who hate movies just because they, they hate them. And and Dino, wh- why don't you do us the favor and read this review?
3: Sure. This is a one-star review Um, If you've seen a kung fu movie, you've seen it all. The idea of apprehending criminals who are high in business and government is a good story matter. But in this film, that's where it starts and ends. The movie just stretches reality to the point of where it snaps. People, pulp fiction. But anyway, (laughs) construction workers are instant assassins. We all know this to be fact. Yeah, that's okay. okay. Right. Sensitive laboratories have gangsters walking in and out. Another fact.
1: Yeah, why do you think it's taken so long to get a vaccine?
3: And this is uh, CEOs are firing fifty caliber machine <laughs> Didn't guns. Didn't they see the wall in <laughs> that dude's say, office that had right. all the fucking guns? Yeah, on the it? head of Jimmy Johns and
2: Papa Johns. He yeah, right, with the Johns.
3: Right. Yeah. <laughs> Please do not try dodging bullets at home. This is done by trained professionals. The best actors in the whole story are the demeans. Did I say that? I, I
1: don't know what that is. I, I
3: don't know what that means. A 9-year-old kid would be disappointed in this movie or actually love it. Earth versus the Flying Saucers is more down to earth. Come to think of it, The Road Runner and Coyote has more realism. Okay, this guy pisses me off because he had to drag the Roadrunner and Coyote into it. So that's pretty, you know. Yeah, I, mean, I guess what know. was
2: the heading that he put into this under? A policeman thought dead is given plastic surgery and a new identity. He is inducted into a secret organization bent on bringing super criminals to justice. I love every bit of that. I don't yeah, know unrealistic. It, right. Yeah.
3: I don't
1: buy it for a second. Well, why is this movie great? Are you asking me?
2: Yes, why is this movie great, Brandon? Uh, it's my movie, but I'm asking you. I'll tell you why uh chris yes brandon why this movie is great uh i think it's just it's a super fun premise yeah you know you have a great premise here uh the simple fact that it is a a pulp story means that you don't have to take it too seriously it is escapism I mean, this is escapism in its finest form, and it's being brought to you by people who have made some of the greatest escapism films ever. You know, the the director and the writers of James Bond films. You have an excellent cast. You know, I think the cast is fantastic. It is an excellent Uh, cast. Fred Ward, who I'm a huge fan of, and I don't really think of any—I can't think of any movies that I don't enjoy Fred Ward in. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been a fan of his since— I think probably the first movie I ever saw him in was The Right Stuff, where he played Gus Grissom. And I absolutely adored him in that movie. Um, Trimmers, which is, I know, yeah. a
3: favorite of yours as well. I, I love him in that movie. Yeah. What, what was the, um, the detective, uh, magic. Um... Oh,
2: cast a deadly spell! Where he played Phil
3: Lovecraft. Now there's yes. a deep cut. Dino. Yeah, yeah, yes, there you go. that's a good one. Yeah, that
1: was an HBO movie that came mm-hmm. out in what '89. Oh, that would have been a good. That would have been a good choice for tonight too. <sighs> you maybe. know,
2: it did kind of cross my mind a little bit, but I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, the character of Lovecraft. You know, because the the character in that movie is named. Phil Lovecraft, he's H.P. Yeah. Lovecraft, and it's not really, I mean, he's more of a, you know, kind of gumshoe, you know. No, he
3: wasn't you know. an alcoholic racist like H.P. <laughs> Lovecraft. Did I miss that? I, you know.
2: Well, and I mean, you know, in, in this movie, too, you know, another great performance is by an actor who is a... White actor that's playing an Asian man. Yeah, Broadway George, yeah, plays,
1: star please. plays the uh,
2: the role of Chun, mm-hmm. and Chun is the mentor character who is the the last master of the ancient art of
1: Shinanju. Shinanju and Shinanju which, is a made up, well made up not martial
2: Necessarily, art. yes. Uh, you know the word itself means you know the sun from which everything else comes. So what Chun explains in the movie is that all other martial arts are but shadows of Shinanju. Shinanju is the sun, and ninjutsu and karate and kung fu are all the shadows of this. They're the watered-down versions that have kind of come from this pure, essential form.
1: I read an interesting Mm. thing, though, that when they were casting the movie, uh, they were looking for people to play Remo, or they were looking for characters, that some of the actors... You know, one of the things that you do when you're an actor is when somebody says, um, "No, you can ride a horse, Right. You whether you've ridden a horse or not, you say, so yes. oh yeah, of course, mm-hmm. of course I can. And you're you know you you're a scuba diver, you're a trained scuba. Yeah, of course, never you know I've lived in fucking Missouri my whole life. So what? Not me personally, by the way. <laughs> I'd rather die than go to Missouri. <laughs> I'm just kidding. One of the uh, uh, actors, somebody that auditioned for the role of Remo Williams, did something very similar when they asked if y- they were trained martial artists one of the auditioning actors said that they were uh very proficient in shinanju yes and which all is- the producers are like oh this guy's, full of, shit. <laughs> this guy's <laughs> full of shit what the fuck
2: which is yes i know shinanju which is brilliant and several other asian words <laughs> the story goes that you know why didn't they hire an asian actor to play this asian role and, of course, the producer will say, well, we couldn't find any Asian actors to play it.
1: It's true. He did say that. He did. And I mean, it's a, he's it's on record saying that. complete and utter bullshit statement. And I think um, Joel
2: Grey actually turned down the role a couple of times, saying, well, yeah, no, I, I, I don't think, I don't know anything about martial arts, I'm not Asian, all this kind of stuff. And eventually, I guess, when they had, Maybe probably sweeten the deal to entice Joel Gray to take the part and everything. He said, "I will do this role on one condition that you can make me look like a bona fide Asian. I don't want to look like some sort of you know silly white guy with friggin' Scotch tape on my eyelids or some Christopher shit like Lee that. in
1: Fu Manchu, exactly. You know, yeah. um, or John Wayne in Genghis Khan. <laughs> yes. uh, so what do they do? They hired the guy who made the best Mongoloid movie history." <laughs>
2: Yes, Carl, Carl Fullerton, Fullerton, who created the uh, the look of Jason without... Well, didn't create the look of Jason without the mask. Hillbilly hopefully. Jason. Hillbilly Jason, definitely. And uh, they said, okay. And Carl Fullerton you know, did some life casts and everything. He did some sculpts. And I have to say that the makeup you know, is pretty damn good.
1: I think it's great, too. I mean, I, I think... And I think his performance is great. And look, you know, we unfortunately live in a reality where people approach things from a hypothetical perspective and they say, well, that's not what it should be. But the the, the fact of the matter is, well, that is what happened. That's what it is. That's what it is. And it's there. It's done. So now we move forward. You either choose to let that affect you, you know, negatively and and you're not able to see past it and see into whatever the movie is trying to do or you don't yeah and it's Um, a great
2: character i I think it's a great character it's a great performance i believed every bit of it i mean i believed that yes joel gray was this you know old master of this ancient martial art and Joel Grey has no martial arts experience whatsoever but I believed everything that happened Well he does have together. jazz hands. He does have jazz hands. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and of course that you know interesting thing that he does you know with the crossed fingers
3: and kind of puts them in everybody's face. What
1: was the story Dino that he had when he was doing the fingerboarding scene? There's uh, a There's a character or he trains him to Right,
3: he's trying to to train Remo how to use, you know, his his index finger as a weapon and it was, you know, can you put your hand, your index finger through a block of wood? And, you know, Remo couldn't do it. And, and in the movie, Chun um, walks over and puts it right through like nothing, you know, like a great master he is. Well, the outtakes, I guess the prop wasn't rigged properly. So there's more than one take of Joel Gray doing that scene where he's, You know, hitting the wood, and it's not budging, so much so that he hits it hard enough a couple times where he's like, ha, 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 (laughs) he's like in pain (laughs) from doing it, and Fred Ward, of course, is cracking up, he thinks it's the funniest thing ever, so... The prop didn't do what it was supposed to do. The effect That's great. didn't do what it was supposed to do.
1: That's great. Yeah. Who else is in this movie? We're still at the cast. Well, I think oh, I, no, I, we I, got I mentioned yeah. all the
3: cast. I'm just kind of talking about the individual
2: merits here. But I mean, I think Joel Gray's performance was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The makeup was fantastic. Yes. Joel Grey got nominated for a Golden Globe for his performance as And Carl Fullerton got an Academy Award nomination for the makeup oh, job they? that he did
1: in this. They lost to uh, Cher's makeup and mask. It
2: wasn't Cher's makeup. It was Rocky <laughs> Dennis's <laughs> oh. makeup. It was yeah
3: no well oh. it, you know <laughs> eric stoltz's makeup man come on tom bowles uh was my comic book mentor he taught me everything about the comic book business and tom himself was half korean and he was a huge fan of the destroyer novels and Love Tune and all that and when he saw that movie i mean he had everyone to that time and had read everyone and he liked it because in The books, you know, Chun was very, you know, pro-Korean, obviously, Mm because that's what his nationality. And Tom enjoyed that because that was part of, you know, him. And he said, I remember him saying, you know, he wasn't offended by the portrayal at all. And again, this is one person's opinion. Uh, One half Korean person's opinion. Correct. Uh, He thought it was a very accurate portrayal uh, from the books. You know yeah. and had and didn't have a, an issue or a problem with I thought he did a great job as Chun was very respectful to the part and whatnot i I having not read any of the that's i've read the magazines and the comics, but having not read the original source material, I'll defer to someone who has an expertise in that so if someone who you know is a fan of it appreciates it, understands part of the cultural aspects of it says you know he did a good job in that in that role you know at that time now granted as we've discussed couldn't probably do that today for a list of reasons, you know, but what, what was the same, what was 30 years ago is not today. You know, sure. cult, you know, cultural changes happen, sure. things of that nature. So, but he thought he did a great to, you know, like you say, well, got nominated for a Golden Globe. And I thought Fred Ward was fantastic, yeah. you know, um, particularly because, you know, one reason Remo has that target in, that he wears in the, in the, in the, in the novels and in the magazines, yeah, he wears a bullseye on his chest in,
2: in the comic books and in the novels. And you want to explain mm-hmm. why that? Blah, yeah, because blah, blah. there
1: is something that's missing.
2: Well, it's kind of for the same reason that Superman sometimes would wear, you know, the the emblem on his mm-hmm. on his chest too, and Batman would wear, you know, the big mm-hmm. bat on his chest. Is you know, he wanted people to kind of have that be where the target's going to go? Because mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things that, he, that Remo learns in the art of Shinanju is how to dodge bullets. Correct. So he wants people to kind of focus in one place and everything, and then mm-hmm. as he hears the tension of mm-hmm. you know, the ligaments and mm-hmm. the bones and muscles on their trigger finger, it's not that he is necessarily faster than a speeding bullet, but he can interpret a person's movements mm-hmm. and know he's about to pull the trigger on that,
3: and he moves before the bullet actually it. comes. Yeah. And if yeah. that's
1: not pulp, I mean, I don't know
3: what is. Well, well Fred, what was good about Fred Ward's part is when he was learning it, the mistakes he would make. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and it takes a good actor to be able to, you know, pull that off to look like you're making this mistake and to be having to be a comedic, but have it be effective to the character. So when he does make the big move later on in the movie, it says something, you know, that he's progressed and he's becoming that, that yeah, skilled and, and he
1: does a wonderful job. I mean, we, we Chris, we watched it last night last and night, yeah. um, I, I remember remarking that. His physicality in that movie is... He does such a remarkable job doing that. Like, he's ungainly... We see him at the beginning taking down some street thugs, so we know he's got the power, he's got the strength, he's got the... He's physically tough. Yeah, he can Mm -hmm. handle it. But Um, doesn't have the grace yet. Right, he's just kind of a clumsy idiot. He plays that clumsy idiot so well. There's just a scene where he's trying to get up off the floor, Mm -hmm. and he gets up, like, he's face down, and he just, like pushes himself up with his ass goes up in the air mm-hmm. and like that his like neck cranes up last and he's just like falling around and it's just it's so it's so controlled it's mm-hmm. he you know and chris you informed for me you know he was a boxer
2: yeah he's i mean a very physically gifted actor yeah mm-hmm. and you know the, the the cool thing about boxing and you know, people think it's just two guys standing around the oh. rig beating the shit out nope. of each other but i mean the footwork and the, the situational and what they call orthographic projection, to be able to understand where every part of your body is in space, yeah, um, is a very real art form that, you know, athletes, it's something that all athletes aspire to, martial artists, dancers, um, and even actors, you know, to a certain extent. Want to understand what is the relationship of my body to everything else around me within space? Yeah,
1: you know? and of course they're also People excited about
2: coordination, the... but it's more than just coordination.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and
2: Fred Ward has that ability in spades. I mean, it's beautiful to watch him move. That was always I was like, you know, was Fred Ward a dancer? And then later on, I found out he was a boxer. So it became, yeah, like, that explains very similar. some of so it.
1: So there it is, sweet
2: science, baby.
1: And he does by the end of the movie. You know, he he's he's very graceful, but also watching him do it is is part of the joy of the movie it's Mm -hmm. a very very funny movie Mm -hmm. right i mean like mostly because of man
2: i mean i went through and was looking at some of the just the quotes from the movie as well and like all the fucking shit that chun says it's either like seriously very thought-provoking if you kind of sit and think about it it's like okay nice job christopher wood to give these words for chun to say because i buy it but also too one of the things that I found remarkably hysterical is, you know, as, as Dino had said, this character of Chun is very pro-Korean. I mm-hmm. mean, he's constantly talking about how the Korean is the most superior creature to ever make a footprint on the yes. face of this earth, yes. <laughs> and that how everybody else, the Chinese, the Japanese, and definitely the fucking Americans, you know.
1: And also the women, especially. Well, and, yeah, there's very, very sexist,
2: too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very, very sexist. Um, but, you know, the fact that he's just constantly ragging on this white guy, you know, this, mm-hmm. this fat... Hamburger eating, mouth breathing, uncoordinated, uncouth, unsophisticated white guy. I'm like, <laughs> it's funny because it's true. You yeah. know? I mean, if we if we go back thirty years, you know, there was a, there was a whole lot of controversy. You know, around the same time that uh, that President George Herbert Walker Bush, you know, vomited on a diplomat in Japan. You know, there was a, this quote saying that Americans are lazy and stupid. You know a lot of people really got up in arms when that kind of came out, but you know America unfortunately is not a very reflective country where we kind of sit here and look at it. It's like, yeah, you know a lot of the things that other people make fun of us for yeah we it's do pretty spot we, on we do embody it, and then all of a sudden we turn it into a point of pride. You know, Although
1: McDonald's, McDonald's is in every country so give us a fucking break with the McDonald's jokes. Yeah, okay. but not
2: every country like America we don't get the McToaster.
1: Oh, we don't get a lot of things. Yeah, I know. There's man. some crazy shit. I was shit. in
2: Italy, man and you know I had a really bad day and said I want some like pasta. You know, well, I didn't get McPasta. I, I wanted a fucking cheeseburger,
3: man. Do, uh, d- do not tell me they have McPasta. <laughs> uh, actually, I think they might. Oh, yeah, McPasta for sure.
2: Yeah, pizza, which they tried to do over right, here. Remember and that? Said, yeah, fuck that. Remember that?
1: You can hear all about this in our new podcast cast mcdonald's around the world <laughs> <laughs> what else chris what else does this movie have going for it well this movie's an origin story
2: and originally i think when they were producing this they were going to do three movies yes they had like fred ward to a contract for doing three movies and unfortunately uh just this did not really kind of find an audience and so they said well fuck that shit why do you think why do you think what, oh, what happened marketing yeah. I think
3: marketing was a huge part because, you know, Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. Well, what the hell does that mean? Yeah. You know, I mean, it didn't... If I mean, the title is a problem. Right. If they would have said The Destroyer, The Adventure Begins, you got, okay, this guy... You know, destroys things. Yeah. 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 Which, of course, they don't even
2: touch it because, you know, the whole thing about Remo Williams that doesn't get talked about with the movie. But, you know, if you're a fan of the books or mm -hmm. the comic books, you understand this. Remo Williams is the avatar of the Indian god Shiva, which is another reason Shiva is the destroyer. Shiva's job is to completely vanquish
1: evil. On Earth. He's the reincarnation in he the is, books. He is the reincarnation.
2: See, I, well, and that's, that's you know, it, it, they push it a little bit in, yeah. in some media. In the books, the idea is that Chun, who is an Easterner, mm-hmm. recognizes in his pupil that he may be the chosen one. Mm-hmm. You know, and so he, you know, yeah, Remo like doesn't necessarily all of a sudden he just mm-hmm. turn into Shiva and, you know, his skin turns blue like the Hulk, you know, and then all of a sudden his pants rip off and he's got like, you know, fucking loincloth or, you know, running around. Going, Although I'd, I'd
1: watch that. That could be
2: kind of cool, yeah. (laughs) Because it is a little bit almost like an afterthought, the fact that Rima Williams has been recruited. And they they, they explain this several times in the movie, but he's been recruited Mm -hmm. by this secret, secret, secret government agency that was started by President Kennedy Mm -hmm. called Cure. And there are only like four people in Cure, and they have-
3: Robert Smith. (laughs) I get that. Oh, yeah. Robert Smith,
2: Simon Gallup. Yeah. Uh... Well, Porel Thompson... But you got to get know, this really one. A, a I know friends pearl. that
3: are going to be listening to this that are going to be yelling it right now at their <laughs> computer. They're going to be yelling the members of The Cure. Yeah, well, Anywho. Okay. Well, The Cure's had a lot of members
2: over their 43, 44-year history. Uh, Fred Ward. Yeah, so Fred Ward's one of the members of The Cure. Uh... He did everybody's you've hair. Got, you've got uh, Wilford Brimley, you know, as, as a member of The Cure, uh, J.A. Preston, and then Joel <laughs> Gray. That's, that's, the, cure go, right that's there, the Cure right there, which was the most famous lineup. That's really. the
1: lineup that did disintegration. Yeah, exactly. So there, there you go. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's what you learn in Shinanju: is that you hit him in the right spot and they disintegrate right yep. there. It's the perfect assassination. But, I mean, these guys are assassins. I mean, their whole thing is that they are going to go out and go after the people within government and within industry that are corrupt.
1: Specifically, though, and I think that... What is the, what's the art? What's the martial art? Shinanju. Shin Shinanju Shin is also specifically the, the art of uh, killing making it look like an accident yes. like assassination via accident because yeah. i mean joel gray's Grey.
2: character chun explains that shinanju has been around since the very beginning and he starts listing off you know there were pharaohs that were killed alexander the great was killed by a master of shinanju he's like no napoleon those people, they died of accidents they died in their bed he goes yeah perfect assassination yeah. everybody thought that it was you know just natural causes yeah you know that's what shin'an-ju which by the way do. i'm
1: i'm not my conspiracy theorist uh blood particles go like yeah, yeah there's I probably buy that good out there. I buy that well
2: another line Joel Grey says you know assassination is the highest form of public service <laughs> like, <laughs> that's another great, great fucking line, line man. what a great
1: line um, fully great lines this movie
3: I but it wasn't there a um, there was a show right Remo, wasn't there? Wasn't there? They Remo did William a pilot. Cena? Okay,
2: they did a pilot with a, what was his name? Jeffrey Meeks.
1: Yeah, he mm-hmm. was like a friend of Roddy McDowell's.
3: And Roddy and Roddy <laughs> oh, was That's right, Roddy McDowell It's
1: like was they chewing. just couldn't help themselves, could they? Well, wow. what we're gonna do is
2: we're gonna take your old ape makeup and yeah. we're just gonna modify it a little bit oh and make God. you a new Asian man.
1: Let's let's cast another sexually ambiguous leading man <laughs> as our or like supporting character as uh as the you know Korean guy. Um. And it was also directed by Christian Nyby, who you the guys... The second. Yeah. Uh, is he a second, Christian?
2: Yeah. Christian Nyby, part two. Okay. You might know so him as is... uh,
1: the director of Scanners 2. Yes.
2: And the son of the director of the original thing. That's right. Howard
1: Hawks Nyby.
2: Yes. The Hawksian Nyby. <laughs>
1: the Hawksian Nyby. Anyway, um, Chris, you, well, Dino, you mentioned something that I want to hear Chris talk about. What's up with the Statue of Liberty? It features on the poster. Mm-hmm. What's the scene? What's up with that?
2: I think this movie contains two of the greatest fucking action set pieces out there. Uh, they're, number one, they shoot this fucking movie in New
1: York, man. That's right. And, and it's that that era of New York. That is 1980s like,
2: New York. Oh my man. God! Like it doesn't exist when anymore. Times Square was still nasty, oh. grimy. Right? So, yeah. right?
1: Like, go down 42nd Street, get some heroin, a hooker, and you get to watch Basket Case mm-hmm. all in the same 10 minutes. You know, like that is Linda Blair is probably running around there, chain smoking, showing her titties to everybody. CBGB's is still open. The Beastie Boys are growing up. Yeah. It was just a an awesome era of New York, and there is something. Actually, Chris, I'm I, you mentioned this last night, but there is a vibe to that era of filmmaking in that specific locale that cannot be duplicated anymore because it is all like the greatest westerns are, you know, all about their environment, Monument Valley and, and, and this though, that era of movies is very specifically relegated to that time. Yeah, it's
2: not fucking Toronto, you know, it's it's not Vancouver. I remember when I went fucking New York.
1: When I went to New York for the first I was so disappointed walking around that area because I was like, "Wait, what? Oh my god, it's like it's the most touristy bullshit like oh, it's Times so Square yes, now? it's yeah. so clean and i hated it i was just, I, I just was like where's jason for yeah, right.
2: <laughs> he's <laughs> in town where's chuck bronson why isn't
1: he running around shooting people in the dick
2: like well, because jeff goldman was busy doing other things
1: that's right yeah right uh, maybe our second movie tonight um it just was a great era so i i i call it savage street cinema yeah um and I mean, they're
2: on. They're in Coney Island. They're <sighs> shooting on the fucking Wonder Wheel. Which I mean, I've, I've ridden on the Wonder Wheel, you know, and yeah. I've been in those fucking cars that kind of move on the tracks and everything. And you can tell that they're there. I mean, it's not. this hands down no bullshit. Fred Ward was in a harness mm-hmm. with a fucking safety cable, mm-hmm. and that guy did most of his stunts. Mm-hmm. I mean, climbing
1: that's... up a fucking Ferris wheel. That how tall is that thing? Hundred twenty
2: feet—it's huge. Yeah, the fucking Wonder Wheel is massive.
1: And by by the way, camera would like pan over to the right or pan over to the left, and you just see the shithole area Mm. of Coney Island, like all the trash and debris and burning tires and everything that just was like everywhere. Is that a syringe? It's so good. It just—it has. Hey, Coney Island lightfish,
2: man, they're coming in.
1: (laughs) So that is a great set piece of training montage—not montage, but set piece. Where he's jumping around the Ferris wheel, mm-hmm. but the the Statue of Liberty.
2: Yeah, because this was in 85. So they were doing getting ready for the centennial uh, restoration of the Statue of Liberty. So for those of you that, you know, were not a child of the 80s or a- around in the 1980s, they erected a huge scaffolding around the Statue of Liberty so they could go through and clean and restore it and everything and hopefully get more life out of that thing. Mm-hmm. And
1: for those of you who don't know math, centennial means uh, 100.
2: Yes, Thank you, Brandon. Thank you for putting that important I just
1: actually was telling myself, and I wanted to make sure you guys nodded and said I was right. (laughs) You're right, Brandon. Thank
2: you. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's this whole action sequence where Remo and and Chune are on top of the Statue of Liberty because it's just, it's a great perspective. You know, you're standing there in the middle of New York Harbor. For anybody that's ever been to, you know, Liberty Island and and spent time, you know, at the Statue of Liberty, you can fucking see everything from there. Um, And they're standing on top of the fucking statue you know and then i think they're on the torch yeah Yeah. tune leaves remo's still there and you know the villain pays off a couple of fucking union guys that are you know working on the (laughs) fucking statue paying them off in some big fucking bills so you know they they go up there and hey
1: you're not supposed to be up here wait construction worker assassins is very unrealistic
2: yes i know just like our our friendly reviewer here said and everything (laughs) It's like, well, okay, you know, th- this was an era, you know, in New York, where you could give a construction worker a couple <laughs> yeah, what, of C like, notes. He's like, yeah, I'll fucking kill. That it. sounds and, like you know, a very difficult assassin. Yeah. <laughs> it's New York, you yeah, know? fucking Jesus. So, uh, you know, there's this battle sequence that takes place on top of the fucking Statue of Liberty, swinging around from all these different fucking, you know poles and and pipes and stuff that are part of the scaffolding i mean you know your heart kind of jumps into your throat you know there's there's some continuity errors in there that's fine but but who
1: gives a shit do you i like i jumped there's like a scene where he he leaps out and grabs onto like a pole that just tilts outward away Mm -hmm. from the scaffolding just over the you know however like 200 feet above the ground real it's like a wide shot mm. shot from up high looking down and I, like i gasped seeing it i like i freaked out for that stunt person i was like
2: oh oh be careful yeah well it's fucking guy hamilton dude you know yeah. it's a guy who knows how to do giant fucking set action pieces him and the guy was a fucking
1: james bond director and it's interesting because it has it, it rem- like now talking about it like casino royale you know the fight scene on the Mm -hmm. construction site yeah it's got a very similar parallel to that one's a little faster paced but the scene on the statue of liberty is expertly shot and edited Mm -hmm. it is it makes that entire sequence it feels so yeah they totally
2: previs the shit out of that yeah
1: i don't think so i just think i mean well i guess they i mean storyboarded it but like i mean i i it's an incredible piece of 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 action directing yeah. and um, I was I was on the edge of my seat the whole time it was great yeah. it was a really great sequence of the movie
3: uh, I believe it was what was the Dick Clark show Ed McMahon Chris bloopers blunders and practical, practical jokes, jokes. Okay. And practical jokes yeah you know as to promote the film they were showing outtakes of this movie well because and that's, Dick and, Clark produced the movie there, oh there, my god the that's connection. right and that's where you saw a tune you know with a block of wood and they showed uh, Fred Ward. Was it running? Was he running down the arm? What was he running down? Where he slid down on the statue? Of he Liberty? slid down the arm. He was okay. actually he was
2: on the torch and everything, and they were right. throwing like the lanyards and stuff yes. trying to get him down. And he's like,
3: oh, and he loses his grip and slides down the arm. Okay, so for the inti- for the close-ups, obviously they built a giant prop set piece, which, which is also amazing. extremely impressive. Right, right. It no, was like uh, book up pre- is what they built. Yeah, pre CGI because this is old school, good that's old right. fashioned heart effects. And there are several scenes of him, you know, because he's got to run down there and do whatever action bit he had to do, where basically it's several outtakes of Fred Ward running and busting his ass (laughs) sliding down the arm of the Statue of Liberty. And his reaction is hysterical laughter every time. Like he thinks this is the funniest thing ever. And it took a few takes, but to see, you know, Remo Williams, because he's serious, serious, serious Whoa, <laughs> he's cracking up, sliding down the arm. That's you know? awesome. So
1: I'll bet he had a great time doing it.
3: Some of the original casting decisions on this were,
2: were kind of interesting. Did you know that this was a part that uh, Ed Harris was up for? Yeah, I, I could
1: see that's it. that's fascinating. I another
2: guy from the right stuff, you know. So you huh. got, you know, Gus Grissom, and then you've got uh, you know, the second man in space, and then the third man in space,
1: John Glenn. Who who else was up for the part? Uh, Do you remember anybody else? There was
2: one other actor, and I honestly, I, it slipped my mind. Who I really kind of gravitated towards? Ed, you know. I, I have a Ed million, million dollar Harrison, question Fred for you, Ward.
1: Chris. Fred Ned. Fred Ned, mm-hmm. the old Fred Eds. Who would make a great Remo Williams today? If if the green light, you're making Remo Williams the destroyer, and it can't star Nicole Kidman.
3: Well, that, that's we, that's off the table. Is though. that a different story? Then we can't <laughs> yeah, 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 do it. Yeah, then we can't yeah. do it. We
1: get Nicole Kidman and
2: makeup to look like Fred Ward. This is this has been a tough one. I've actually been stewing over this question, this very question, <laughs> all by goddamn this? day, and it, it's hard because I keep going back to the original source material. You know, the idea that's behind the way to making go, right? this movie and mm-hmm. everything. They said that it was you know America's answer to James Bond which of course I thought Derek Flint was America's answer to James Bond but right. that's another show. Um, but they said that it's it's America's James Bond, James Bond but red, white and blue collar. You know, and I kind of stuck with that red white and blue collar thought and I'm like what fucking actor today could do red white and blue collar?
1: Chris Pratt. I'm kidding. I don't want to see Chris you know, Pratt really in cause, anything cause anymore. <laughs>
2: he's a fucking bruiser that goes from being a bruiser Correct. into being a very, very yes. graceful and mm-hmm. gifted and you know physically controlled specimen, and that's where I'm kind of having the hard time with it. Uh, I'm going to throw this out here. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not sold on it. Stuff like that. Ryan Reynolds popped in yeah. my head at okay. one point, and I thought, you know, he could probably do it. Although I don't know. You know, they said that for the movie, they kind of brought down the grimness of the character and elevated the lightheartedness and the comedy of it, which I think for, you know, Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins, I think it works very, very well. It does work because it's
1: a very funny movie. It felt very light. But it's also,
2: I mean, the the novels themselves are dark and fucking Mm -hmm. violent. Mm -hmm. Very, very violent. I mean, you know, this guy is a dude that goes around killing people. That's what his
3: job is to go and kill people you know um he there, there's actually a resemblance and i'm going to butcher the guy's name the punisher John Berenthal? Oh, John
2: uh, Bernthal. He actually, yeah. that was another one that I kind of thought of, too, that popped in my head. And I'm kind of like, but because he played the Punisher in Frank Castle, I thought, is your, is that going to be a good choice to kind of put him into a character like this? Right. I think that John Bernthal would be a very good choice for that because he does physically resemble, yep. you know, mm-hmm. Fred Ward a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, I think he's a great actor. John Bernthal was an athlete. He mm-hmm. was a, a baseball player.
3: So, you know, he's got a good physicality to him as well. You need someone who can do great. Harrison Ford spoke of this one time. Not necessarily stunt work, physical acting. Mm-hmm. You know, so you need someone that can do physical acting. Harrison Ford said, no, I'm not a stunt person, but I can do physical acting. That's when he played the badass president. Mm-hmm. You know, he could do certain fight scenes. Get and off of like my that. plane. Right. man. that's... um. Wow that is that's a tough, tough decision, decision. That's a tough, man. yeah that's uh, did well, you
1: have an answer for this one I, do, I really don't man i i like you I would want to read the books and kind of go from there um I feel like it's got to be somebody who's a little younger um probably is where my my mind would go with it, not like young young, but I mean like a an actor somewhere around thirty thirty but you know
3: you know when you brought up um Fred Ward and the other the other gentleman John Ed, Ed Ed Harris yeah Ed Harris was the other you choice for I that think role. kind of a component that you're looking for is grizzled yeah you, you want someone grizzled you know so a lot of these Hollywood act not to say they couldn't do it because of makeup they're and all acting, fucking pretty boys <laughs> you know, that. but you need someone a little bit grizzled where because like, if you look at Ed Harris or Fred Ward I don't want to fight those guys. I mean, just looking at sure. them, you know, they they have that aura of toughness. So you need somebody that kind of can present that, yeah. you know, project that. And that's, you know, a lot of times that's that's and again, tremendous actors are certainly they could do it. Uh, that's a that's a tough casting man it really is yeah. that one's
1: well you know. i'll open it up to uh you dear listener if you have any ideas we would love to know because yeah, that's a us. that's a fun game the casting game mm-hmm. um chris why don't you go ahead and give us some driving uh our dead city tallies
2: okay well some dead city tallies for remo williams the adventure begins racist portrayal of asian <laughs> martial arts masters <laughs> yes. Which, I'm sorry, it's it's not really good for the 21st century, but it's a fucking awesome portrayal. Uh, there's gunplay in this movie. There's martial arts action, dodging of bullets, assassinations, explosions... Incredible, stunt, spectacular scenes put together by a director of James Bond movies. Fred Ward is in this fucking movie. You've got uh, these, these fucking Doberman Pinchers <laughs> that are some great fucking comedic actors in this movie as well. The whole sequence with the, Do- the Doberman Pinschers, they become actual characters. Uh, they're, they're you know, Remo Williams snarl. breaks into a fucking, uh, you know, military, uh, you know, uh, contractor and everything and these guard dogs are chasing his ass around and he's like hey, fucking stupid ass dogs and then the dogs prove how smart they actually are and kind of you know stupid human uh, Yeah, which it's is great just, it's, it's a
1: great it's very moment funny that just is yeah the, it gets increasingly incredulous and and it's it's really funny. It's very laughable. Yeah.
2: Um you know you've got that in there. You know so yeah trained Doberman pinchers, um exploding guns in people's faces. Uh, assassination, dogs ripping a man's arm off. Okay, it's a fake arm, but still dogs, you know, electrified fences, um, death and mayhem. You have a crazy henchman with a fucking diamond set in his tooth and he's used as a fucking glass cutter. That's my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. I,
1: I would like to not go into that one too much in case you guys do decide to watch this because that was one of the most surprising things that happened in the movie and I was like, if that is not Bond, yeah, like I don't know what is, and
2: the most kick-ass fucking meter maid in all of <laughs> New York City.
1: <laughs> you stop kung fuing that man. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Smash your with my nightstick.
1: She was fucking great. I wish. Hey, I wish we... where,
2: where's the public service and courtesy? We save that shit for downtown. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or the upper, sorry, Upper West Side. Upper That's what West she said. Side. She's great. That little performance. I wish we took the time to look up that actor's name, but she's very, yeah. very, 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 very funny yeah. in her so, one scene. Uh, lots of
2: great stuff in this movie. I, I think it's an, an underrated gem. Um, and really, it's just, it's. It gives me everything I want for entertainment, man. It was just, it's it's a great movie. It's the uh, definition of pulp. Yeah, it it, it does. It It fits Dino's criteria. 100%. So I feel good about it, man.
1: I feel good. All right, that's our first movie. So let's uh, fucking, what am I trying to say here? I
2: don't know. Spit it out, Brandon. Spit it out. Come on. (laughs) Have you ever seen the human brain choke on its own thoughts? That's what Brandon's doing right now. So that's why we're going to give him the hind lick maneuver. Thank you. I'll get I the appreciate butt cheeks it. And Dino, you can go ahead and lick his
1: hind. And well, before... we're going into a weird
3: area here, guys. Uh, <laughs> I just came to talk about movies. Uh...
1: <sighs> this is why we have to let the guests listen to the show ahead of time.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> he didn't quite know what he was getting himself into. Sorry, sorry Dino. Sorry. But Dino, it is your turn to offer up to the drive in gods a second choice for our drive-in double feature of Pulp Heroes.
3: Uh, what do you got for us? This one is deeply personal to me. The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension.
0: He's a rocker. Uh-huh.
3: Doctor. Don't talk about that. You never know what it might be attached to.
0: Inventor. Activate oscillator. on the sound barrier. Philosopher.
3: No matter where you go,
0: there you are. The only hero, Buckaroo. Buckaroo. Buckaroo, Buckaroo. curse are you, bonsai! Who can save us all? Evil, who are from the eighth dimension? Burn Launch thermal pod. Buckaroo bonsai, is pure nutty fun. Buckaroo, you forgot you like. your thruster. What are you all on for what? The called sci-fi classic. Run, run! In a dimension
3: all its own real life Martians landing in New Jersey
0: we will hire a portable beam weapon vaporize the whole damn planet
3: if we blow this today yeah, there ain't no tomorrow left I said left this is left I mean my left my left
0: go so your right fucker the president's calling about is everything okay with the alien space club and planet 10 or should we just go ahead and destroy Russia tell him yes on one and no on two the Adventures of Buckaroo Bonsai, which was yes, destroy Russia or uh, number two.
3: Uh, came out in '84. It's good hear uh, for movies. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, I, I had graduated high school that year. Uh, directed by W. D. Richter, written by Earl Mac Roush, starring Peter Weller, John Lithgow, Ellen Barkin, Jeff Goldblum, and Christopher Lloyd. It's one of those movies that I refer to as everybody's in it. <laughs> everybody's in That's it. That's what we were saying when we were yeah. watching it the other yeah. night. Yeah. I'm like, Holy you look shit. at it, everybody's in it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to digress shortly before we read the, the the. Well, I read the synopsis first, and I'll tell you how I encountered the movie and how impactful it was for okay. me. Brain surgeon, rock musician, adventurer, Buckaroo Banzai is a modern Renaissance man and has made scientific history. He perfected the Oscillation Overthruster, which allows him to travel through solid matter by using the Eighth Dimension. But when his sworn enemy, Dr. Emilio Zardo, devises a plot to steal the device and bring an an evil army back to destroy Earth, Buckaroo goes cranium to cranium with the madman in a battle that could spell doom for the universe, along with his crime-fighting team, the Hong Kong Cavaliers, Buckaroo must stop the evil alien invaders from the Eighth Dimension who are planning to conquer our dimension. He is helped by Penny Pretty, the long-lost twin sister of his late wife, and some good extra-dimensional beings who look and talk like they're from Jamaica. <laughs> My name's John Parker. Can I talk to Buckaroo? Everybody needs see Buckaroo, Billy Vera. Okay, so... Identify yourself. <laughs> Pinky Carruthers, Blue Blazer Regular. Uh, okay, so this movie came out in the summer of 1984. I had just graduated high school. And uh, at that point in my life, I was about a good year and a half into discovering who Doc Savage was. Classic pulp character. And for those who don't know, Doc Savage is known as the Man of Bronze because of his skin color that has been tanned by a thousand suns from tropical islands. But it's also a hereditary thing. He looks like a living statue. He's that dark, that olive skinned. He was trained from the time he was a child by his father to be the ultimate perfect human being in both physical aspects and mental aspects. Where he would train himself daily Uh, a physical regimen, a mental regimen, so much so that he became... So is his dad's name Thomas Wayne? (laughs) This sounds familiar. (laughs) Well, that's more The Shadow, but that's a a different pulp character. Oh, so Lamont Uh, Cranston. uh, You know, certainly one of the inspirations for Superman was Doc Savage. Like in one of the house ads, it says, Doc Savage, a Superman, and Siegel and Schuster, huge pulp fans, you know, of that that time. The Ubermensch. Correct. So doc savage was the ultimate human being in intellect and physical ability that he was an expert in everything he was a, they called him doc because he was a doctor oh by the way he was also an engineer and a lawyer and a geologist <laughs> and an artist and a musician and all these other things so you're telling
1: the life story of brandon windish just so you know <laughs>
3: <laughs> and a porn star <laughs> uh, that, that's that's in the modern iteration oh yeah okay uh, and he he allied allied himself with other people who were experts in their field. They were in World War One together. The world's best engineer, second best because Doc Savage was the first. The second best lawyer because Doc Savage was the first lawyer. Uh, geologist, Sounds kind of like a Mary Sue sort of thing, correct. though. <laughs> um, an electrical engineer, uh, a scientist. So they they banded together. Uh, they came together at a prisoner of war camp called Camp Loki and broke out of that. And when World War I was over, they decided to fight crime together. And Doc Savage was incredibly wealthy because his dad had discovered this ancient Mayan society that had unlimited gold. How do I go? Yes. <laughs> I love it. Very pulpy. I very love pulpy. It. So Doc Savage's whole shtick was, you know, to take that fortune and all these abilities to do good for mankind. So, you
2: mean white mankind, right?
3: Well, it was the, the 30s and 40s. Yeah. Uh, so Buckaroo Bonsai is certainly, you know, was inspired by that. There's The, the fingerprints are all over it. There is no doubt sure. in my mind. Sure. So here I am. I'm 18, just out of high school, and I'm heavily into Doc Savage, and I'm heavily into New Wave and punk rock. So when the movie comes out, I saw the ads in the comic books, I didn't quite know what it was. Okay, it's kind of an adventure movie. And my friends were like, hey, let's go see this like we see everything. And I can remember vividly who I saw it with. I saw it with Christopher Ford, his brother E.J. Ford, and my friend Mark Pugliese. And we went to the Varsity Six, which is no longer around. And we went to see Buckaroo Banzai. And about, gosh, 20 minutes into this, it dawns on me, holy crap. This is New Wave Doc Savage. (laughs) New Wave Doc Savage. And like the confluence of both of those forces in my life collided and my head exploded. I probably killed my friends that I was with. (laughs) Never heard from them again. I I was just totally enthralled by this. I think it's a cleanup on that too. Right? And, (laughs) and, and, And I got the movie right away. I got it. A lot of people didn't get it. Because they didn't realize they were dropped in Adventure One Twenty Five, not Issue One. You had all these established characters, and who Buckaroo Banzai was, and what he did, and what his relationship with the government was. So you had to kind of realize, okay, I'm in, I'm in the middle of this series, not at the beginning. Uh, and they made all the characters easily definable, so you figured out who they, you know, what they were and what they represented. Uh, And I was just, you know, completely blown away. The dialogue in this movie, there's so many lines that you can just repeat to yourself. It's very stylized in its writing as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, So this is, you know, again, I always say Buckaroo Banzai is the best Doc Savage movie ever made. Why didn't they do more of this awesome flick? Well, a, a couple reasons. It bombed at the box office because, as we talked about with Remo Williams they didn't know how to define it in a marketing aspect. They didn't know what to what to do with it. But what happened was when it went to videotape, by that time it had such a cult following, whatever award it was of that time, like the, like a year, I want to say two years or a year later, it was like the number one VHS. <laughs> I mean it was like that yeah. popular. Yeah. You know? People were getting. They're probably it. killed
1: on cable, too. Oh,
3: for sure. For sure. And so people are like, well, why didn't they make more? Well, they tried to through the years. Kevin Smith was attached to it at one point, and he was really getting ready to do it. I mean, it. they
1: directly tease yes. the title at the end of the movie. Yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. Buck Banzai versus the World mm-hmm. Crime mm-hmm. League, which there is going to be a sequel of sorts coming out in August, a 521 page prose novel that is the sequel. To the to the uh, across the and you said that Earl MacRae actually wrote it, correct? That, right? Correct. And he also wrote the paperback of the movie tie-in, which if you read that, that harkens back to. There's a lot of notes in it. In this adventure, where Buckaroo Banzai does this, yeah. or Rawhide encounters this, you, you really get that pulp element to it. There's no doubt about it. So through the years, they've tried to to reinvent this franchise, and a lot of it got hung up in litigation because certain people own this part of it, and other people own that, and the studio owns this. You know, I think it would be great. In terms of nerd culture, it has such a huge impact. Anybody that really likes what we really like, they know who Buckaroo Banzai is, you know?
1: Well, it's interesting you say that, because this is a very polarizing film. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a lot of people who watch it that just don't straight up get it. And that tends to be what the the biggest criticism of the movie is. I want to just take a minute here, and I want to read one of the worst reviews that I saw on IMDb. That I, I got to tell you, much like the movie is very specifically rooted in its own world, <laughs> this one's kind of interesting. Um, this is... Uh, uh, Penison, <laughs> it's a great, great, great <laughs>
3: username. Yeah. Okay, you like uh, it.
1: Penison says excruciatingly boring. This is a love it or hate it cult film. <laughs> Either you force your date to sit through it, or your date forces you to sit through it. Perhaps, if you're lucky, you will both hate it, or you will both love it. The last person I dated loved it. And the handful of uninteresting films I sat through for her sake, this took the cake. 103 grueling minutes of stupid, unfunny jokes, nonsensical plot. This is an incoherent, muddled collage of random non-sequiturs, and it's painful to sit through. This is the kind of movie that makes you want to get up and wash the dishes just for a little excitement. Dull beyond belief. And the worst I did to her was make her watch Rock and Roll High School. That sounds like a great deal. Michelle. So oh, Michelle, please come back. Michelle, I missed you so much. I don't even care about the movie. Michelle, I missed you. I want your back. Why didn't you break up? Anyway, that's a very specific <laughs> right. issue. I'm not sure that the problem is the movie, uh, Penison.
2: Uh, Give me my money I, back. I think, you I think bitch. his
1: name says it all. <laughs> um. But that said, it it, it 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 is polarizing. There are people that just watch it, like we said, that just don't get it. But, Dino, tell
3: us, why is it great? Like all creative medium, it always comes down to the writing. You can have the best actors in the world. You can have the best directors, producers, set effects. If you don't have writing you don't have crap
1: take that note every hollywood movie made in the last 20 years forward
3: now if you marry you know good writing with good acting and good directing hey guess what you you got something uh if you watch the movie just like the little jokes throughout and and i watched it i watched the second half of it last night i'm sure i'm gonna mess chris i know was encyclopedic knowledge yeah um why is there a watermelon there? <laughs> that's, that's a great. See, that's a great line. Mine is, um, it's the president. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. He wants to know: Do you have things under control, or do you want us to nuke Moscow? Yes on one, y- no y- on y- two. Y- is that is that no on one a yes on one, or no, whatever the reverse <laughs> is, and and when um, they're they're watching the hologram where the the lectoid queen is saying, "Hey, you got to do this, or we're going to nuke you." It's
2: Rosalind Cash, man. Is, is that
3: that is? Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. Rosalind Ros- Cash. Oh, wow. Um, from uh, the Omega Man. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, good catch. Mm-hmm. I had no. See, you learn something every time mm-hmm. I see that movie. I learn something from it. And I learned something just now. But it's and her name is John M. Dahl. <laughs> Everybody's John. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know <laughs> when. When Rawhide's like, this is always something that we have to get into, and, and and Pinky's like, just just mellow out, relax, you know. They're talking about the world ending, the lines, you know, in that, you know, not my planet, Monkey Boy. I mean, b- fantastic. Whoa,
1: did Christopher Lloyd just show Man, up in the you know projection
3: and, booth? And um, and actually, you know, it's not my
2: goddamn planet,
3: <laughs> Monkey Boy. Correct. <laughs> uh, and you know, a great hey, a great. Way to, to philosophy to live your life? No matter where you go, there you are. Well, that's, <laughs> that, that's a very meaningful no, line. No, 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 eaten.
2: don't be mean. Don't be mean.
3: I'm
1: not being mean. I'm, I'm teasing. So, yeah, I'm serious. I'm <laughs> quoting I, the I, lines. I, oh, I'm so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that line really. like That was the one line that hit me watching it uh, the other night. I was just like, oh, man, I fucking. Boy, have I heard that one a lot. Like, that's a really good, strong. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I love that. I love that.
3: And just look, I mean, it has a, a fun story. You're fighting aliens. There's uh, there's plenty of action in it. Great supporting characters. I, again, I, I, uh, it's one and of my. And everybody's fucking in it. Yes, yes. Everybody's in this movie. Yes.
1: Wait, everybody's in it or everybody's fucking in it?
3: That's the porn version.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sorry.
3: That would be fucker, Buck, that's fu- Fuckaroo That's We all wow. the creative level in this no, place. Fuckeroo bunseye. Fuckeru <laughs> bunseye.
1: And the across the eight dimension is how far the s- yeah, semen so you spray can goes. Rope that, and, rope that thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Peter North style. Oh my god. Um, what else? What else? Do you know what? 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 What else do you love about this movie?
3: Uh, it personifies pulp. Yeah. Uh, you have a character that is uh, multifaceted in every aspect. So, I mean, what all does he do? Because, like, he's a fucking nuclear physicist. Okay, what does he do in the movie? Nuclear physicist. He's a brain surgeon. surgeon. Musician. Mm-hmm. Uh, skilled marksman. Yes, see, okay. he, yeah, he's got his fucking uh, peacemakers. Though you don't see a lot of it in too. Swordsman 2. Okay. Um, you know... Driver, race driver. I mean, you know, the whole thing about yeah. the, the jet car. So those are just Daredevil. Yeah, just a few. You know, parachutes out of a plane, flies and fly, learns on the fly how to fly an alien spacecraft. You know, that just take you know. that Will Smith. Yes,
1: <laughs> Jeff Goldblum learned a few lessons. Oh, that's why he was
2: that's so calm it. and collected. That's collective. why he knew how to do it because yep. Jeff Goldblum was there. To tell, okay.
1: We still don't so, know how he was able to get that MacBook Pro. <laughs> what's, the,
3: when it, what's the line when we we'll see if you want to join the band? Can you sing? Well, well Jeff Gold, I I can dance a little. You know, <laughs> like, and it, when he's doing brain surgery, and Jeff Goldblum was like, "No, no, don't touch that. You don't know where it's connected to. Mm-hmm. You know what's connected." <laughs> to. So it is a very pulp esque movie. With a, a hero that's multifaceted, you've got crazy villains, crazy nuts, world destroyers. John Lithgow, another great performance. Supporting cast: Christopher Lloyd, fantastic. Uh, Vincent
2: Chiavelli, yeah. Dan Hidayas. Yes, yeah, there. that's right. Yeah.
3: Dan Hedaya shows yeah. up. Um, just a just a great, great all around. Um, well, I'm flick. glad somebody's got the balls to face facts. One of the things mm-hmm. I
1: thought that was interesting about it was you know in a in a time now where we live in cinematic universes mm-hmm. you know um, this is a movie that very very distinctly creates mm-hmm. a, a world and you know I was remarking about this the other night the idea that um, it, it rewards upon repeat viewing like the best kind of cult film mm-hmm. I guess to say mm-hmm. does mm-hmm. Um, just the notion that, you're, there's no way you're going to pick up all of the things that are going on in the movie. It's very dense, and it requires, you know, a level of attention, mm-hmm. uh, first and foremost, and then the, a surrender. level of, of a surrender and imagination. You just have to kind of go, look, I'll fill in the blanks here accordingly, um, and even if you don't, to just be, you know, willing to watch it again. I think what you said about seeing it at the age you saw it probably... Um, No doubt is a really important Mm -hmm. thing to do is to catch it. And then it's probably a movie that you've often just thrown on while you've gone about your day or gone about your business during Mm -hmm. the day. So it's going to just be a constantly kind of rewarding movie in that aspect, in its detail, attention to detail in the world building. Um, And, you know, like some of those best movies, you know, I I don't know why. I don't know why I just thought of it like but like Alien, for example, it's another one of those movies where you go, what's up with the this and why is that thing in that ship thing and why is it so big and what's the blue mist and you go oh well that's a those questions are left unanswered aside from the fact to be answered in Prometheus <laughs> <laughs> to um to use your imagination Correct. and fill in the blanks mm-hmm. the best kind of sci-fi authors know how to do that the best pulp writers know how to do that because audiences aren't stupid and they have an imagination and it's a good idea to open your brain up and to kind of fill in the blanks for yourself i think buckaroo bonsai really more than any movie here presents that to its viewers which could maybe create a challenge for for somebody
3: well cinematically these days what do we see i love the superhero movies they're doing today but what do we see in so many of them it's like well there's certainly no origin stories that bingo Origin stories so much so now that it's like okay look everybody knows how Peter Parker got his powers, yeah. everybody knows Batman's motivation, how Superman came to be, you know, okay if you want to do the quick montage in the opening credits, fine, I, I don't have a problem with that. Remember Marvel Comics used to do the quick origin at the top of the page, mm-hmm. they yeah. give you the quick rundown, yeah. and then you'd move on to the story. With Buckaroo, I mean, you got an origin, you know, he explained his childhood and, and whatever. But I I think people are so used to that, step one, step two, step three, step four, where in Buckaroo Banzai, you're on step 67. Yeah. You you know, you got enough to kind of get an idea of who's who and what's what. And I think for traditional moviegoers, that's problematic. Whereas people that are a fan of Pulp Fiction, if you will, comic books, that kind of storytelling and fantasy – they're more open to jumping into something because you have these archetypes and representations that they can identify with immediately and relate immediately. And like you said, Buckaroo Bonds, I've I've seen that movie nine hundred times, uh-huh. and I noticed the other day when they're talking about Buckaroo, uh, you you want me to call the rest of the blue? Blood? No, no, call the Kalachi brothers and the Rug Suckers. Well, hell, I actually saw the Rug Suckers in there for the first time. Mm-hmm. Because they had the van, the rug suckers, mm-hmm. and they were there with their shotguns. You know what does that tell you? Okay, Buckaroo has an auxiliary army that he can call upon for different. He things. He has an army.
1: <laughs> right, it's right. like a, an army of fans. You've got like a it's nine like a year old kid yeah. that's carrying around How a fucking awesome mini is that? fourteen. What does that he is say? Awesome. What's the line about? Does he say something about like I'll suck your blood? Or what does he say? To the guy, oh, that's what he says to the fucking Secretary of Defense. Yeah, when he pulls the gun on him oh, and he says something I'll sp- about
3: "I'll spray your blood," or oh no, he violently threatens him. Yeah, yes. it's,
1: it's it's awesome. It's pretty hilarious. Here, I'll give you yeah. a
3: crisp twenty dollar bill. <laughs> and, and again, stupid, you know, stupid, silly things in that movie, like they're doing the press conference and Perfect Tommy makes a rip on the Secretary of State, and the Secretary of State grabs the mic and throws <laughs> it on the floor. And yeah, Perfect Tommy. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, it's stuff like that. You know, just... uh, Uh, The president's on the phone. Right. The president of what? When they're getting ready to declare war and the president opens a folder and it's declaration of war. The the short short form. form. (laughs) Oh, my God.
1: By the way, I couldn't get over that that was Ron Lacey as the president of the United States, the ultimate Nazi henchman is the President of the United States So, what should we talk about completely unrecognizable <laughs> i I mean I I did read that he was dubbed was he dubbed yeah oh. I really? read, I just read that and I was like oh
3: well well is it um what's his name Smirnoff. Um that was uh, yeah, Shm- Shmirnoff. Shmirnoff was the Secretary of state, <laughs> 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 uh, not Secretary state. R- um, well what was he um High cabinet position. I can't remember what I'm talking about, but regards. But they have a Russian. (laughs) Right, correct.
1: (laughs) Very fitting. Very very ahead of his time. And he flubs
3: his lines and they keep it in there, Yes, he did.
1: Mm -hmm. He does. Yeah, but they dub Ron Lacey.
3: (laughs) Now, a a lot of... While that movie was going on, um, Routes was was writing it on the fly. There's a joke that he was kind of a disheveled person and he'd pull up in his beat-up pickup truck and there'd be script flying out of the back of the bed and (laughs) they'd be doing rewrites and... um, again i could take up the whole show and i'm not cuz we have well, other things to get to there, but there's great, some,
1: there's some really interesting stuff about that movie you know the it, first of all it's one of those things that i think about how hard it is to get a movie made um right. in hollywood right we all know this this is a this isn't anything new but the the idea that they're like they gave 14 million dollars to this first time director uh wd richter who you know a very interesting guy he's a director well, he he he. <laughs> Richter is a director. Oh, I get it. I get where you are going. Hey. Um, he, um, y- you know, and and that they greenlit a movie as batshit insane as it is. And but what I was reading about uh, about the movie um, is that the people that made it didn't seem to really be paying any attention. Uh, not 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 the. I am sorry. The, the studio. Me, yes, the the, stu- the, yeah. the studio heads that greenlit the movie. Obviously, the filmmakers were doing, uh, really building some worlds <laughs> um, with a very limited budget. However, the studio just didn't seem to have any interest in it. And that is one of the reasons why, like, to test it, they shot the scene with the watermelon line. Really? They, that line was specifically written to see if the studio was paying attention. Because it's a non sequitur. It has nothing to do with anything. And it literally went in for that reason. And once they knew that when they watched the dailies, they weren't, nobody said anything. They were like, okay, <laughs> I guess let's just make whatever the fuck we want, which is really strange to me because that's such a rare situation to be in but it's also unfortunate on the back end because so how
2: coked out were the studio heads then? well
1: that's you know well, it, it is 80s. 84 so yeah, talking, 80s, ask 18 year old Dino over here <laughs> 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 uh, It. I, I just find that like really interesting especially in comparison to some of the battles that have been fought by more known directors uh, who've had bigger successes in their careers Um, around the same time Um, I'm kind of blown away by that but uh, yeah anyway
3: I would have you know one thing my roommate and I were talking about the other night is what he finds one of the things that's appealing about it is that there wasn't a sequel that it's a standalone it's a one of a kind thing I mean I I wanted 20 of them still do to this day Uh, but to your point Brandon I think that the fact they weren't paying attention and they were able to make this crazy movie with this crazy dialogue and all these, you know, non sequiturs and references about things that had happened or that you know, may happen in the future and all these different characters. Uh, that's what made it, you know, so unique. Uh, but it, it is, a, again, on a personal level, it brings just great joy to me to watch it. You know, uh, it's just a, an incredible fun great flick with uh and and again i've i've seen it 187 times i catch something new every time that's good filmmaking
1: i i'm with you on that i'm with you that's when you can be consistently rewarded by a repeat viewing you've got that and I, that's one there are many things that our choices tonight have in common that's one of them agree definitely one of them mm-hmm. uh why don't you give us some um dead city tallies if you can what what does this movie got going for it?
3: What does this movie have going for it? uh, a tremendous cast yeah everybody has gone on to win not everyone a good many of them awards of every major stripe been in some serious films have had careers in Hollywood that have spanned generations literally. They become Robocops and flies and... <laughs> right uh, it it has and Jimmy Smith's oh, all right, no.
1: I'm thinking of Ellen Barkin and Switch again. Well, she, she was, doesn't turn into Jimmy Smits.
3: What's um you know, she was that to me, her role as Penny Purdy really kind of put her she was the Hollywood sex pot at the time. Yeah. I mean I mean she was that, you know, that hot leading woman for all the passionate, you know, scenes. Um I, I Although love... this is
1: pre of, Sea of Love, correct. Right? So she hadn't even really hit big yet. Correct. She was still competing with like Sharon Stone for like, yes, n- movie King credits. Solomon's Mines.
3: Yeah. <laughs> great cast, uh, a fun movie that you didn't really have to get invested to that you could just turn on and go for the ride. Uh, great writing i i keep going back to that the writing in that is really clever great dialogue super eccentric yeah yeah it's very uh,
1: writerly i mean yeah. it definitely is
3: uh the editing in it is very understated and you know this I, professionally it's very understated but it's there because those scenes transition and move and segue you know Do you know i gotta seg- tell you
1: man i when i was watching it the other night and i hadn't seen it, it literally it was almost as if this was a first time viewing for me mm-hmm. i i saw it many times when I was younger it was always on TV Mm -hmm. but it was really crazy like watching it the other night I hadn't it was all fresh to me for the most part Mm -hmm. um and one of the things I was really blown away by was how modern it actually felt specifically with regards to the editing editing and Mm -hmm. the cinematography Mm -hmm. um I was cause we got to watch it in you know it's anamorphic aspect ratio Mm -hmm. 235 probably Mm -hmm. and uh so it had the wide widescreen cinematography going on but also um it just it was so fast specifically i was blown away by the the uh the scene at the beginning where they're driving the the car through the desert mm-hmm. and how well edited that was it looked like a movie that would come out today mm-hmm. it was that that quickly paced and that energetic and mm-hmm. i was really impressed by um how not dated that editing felt mm-hmm. i i really appreciated that there's a lot of that going on you're right i think it's understated because we take a lot of that kind of stuff for granted these mm-hmm. days but it was very modern in its
2: and he's not overall bullshitting direction. you he actually did say that yeah. You? I was, yeah i, believe I was it. like wow. i believe
3: it that's that's great that you spotted that you know because that's again that's that is something that a with all respect to the listeners a lay person may not necessarily recognize because a film should be seamless yeah they're in, feeling in it subconsciously it, right, but correct. it's
1: it, this is how the, you know putting it into words that's basically what's happening
3: and and I guess my final final point and I'll always go back to it it was fucking Doc Savage <laughs> <laughs>
2: It was New Wave Doc, Doc Savage. Savage. I mean, if I can yeah, take Doc anything Savage. away from what you've said, the fact that you went through and said it's New Wave Doc Savage, yeah. it's MTV Cops. You know, it's like it's one of those kinds mm-hmm. of you know, juxtapositions where you're like, that's fucking it, right there, mm-hmm. in a nutshell. And I had never thought of it that way. I mean, I could, I always saw kind of the parallels sure. with, with Doc Savage and everything, but New Wave, Doc, new Savage. wave Doc Savage. It's
3: almost
1: like it's a, it's a, it's. A slight shame that it didn't come out two years later, so they could get Danny Elfman to do the score for it. Like that, era, <laughs> yeah. that era, Danny Elfman probably would have I, um, been like a perfect choice.
3: I play the end credits theme. I was I was playing it on the way here to get in the mood. Just that little montage <laughs> where it, it shows all the characters coming together, and you get an idea. Okay, this is Buckaroo's. This is Buckaroo's gang.
1: They jump down into the old, uh, the New Jersey uh, empty. Waterway. Waterway, but right? But it's really it's really LA River. LA River. He, right. But uh they all start walking and it's directed mm-hmm. like a music video. Yes it is. And one by one each member of the Another band of uh, yep. the team comes mm-hmm. uh and, and joins him. With
2: those low fucking Dutch shots that they do too to make the guy look like they're ten feet tall yep. as yeah. they introduce each
1: one
3: so it's like these titans. Oh,
1: it's very much like a music video. <laughs> and,
3: and one thing you really if you're not paying attention look at it obviously they're doing multiple shots of course that's any type of filmmaking they did multiple wardrobe changes look at the characters they're wearing different things in that same extended shot but they're wearing different wardrobe you know no doubt it was probably a million damn degrees outside oh, yeah. you know and yeah. they but it's a dry heat right <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, though,
1: too, that the score wasn't ready yet for that scene, so they walked around blasting Billy Joel's "Uptown Girl."
3: <laughs> <laughs> now I have to see that into that music. <laughs> yeah, well, I watch it. It's it's like it's
1: the same tempo. It's the same mm-hmm. thing. It's exactly it. Uh, and that probably is enough to drive anybody absolutely insane.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Best decision they ever made was to not use actually "Uptown Girl" for oh, that thank end. Goodness.
3: But, uh, Why do I have to give her my jacket? Great, uh, great, great, great flick that I could talk about for hours. But I think there's another movie that we need to get to. That's a very good
1: point. And you know, another thing I've recognized about these movies is, while we're a little backwards here, you got Buckaroo Banzai in '84, mm-hmm. we've got uh, Remo Williams in '85, mm-hmm. and then we've got my choice uh, from 1986, and that movie is big trouble
2: in little china
0: there is a hidden world where ancient evil weaves a modern mystery w- what's going on here is this some kind of magic the darkest magic Ow. they call it little china finally we shall bring the order out of chaos <laughs> It's where big trouble was waiting for Jack Burton.
3: Who? Jack Burton. Me. Jack. Jack. Jack.
0: They told him to go to hell. He make one move. Jack. And that's just where he's going.
3: Somebody, I don't care who, tell me what is going on.
0: Bring us. I have no idea. There are many mysteries, many unanswerable questions, even in a life as short as yours.
3: <coughs> my destiny rests in your capable hands. Hey, I'll do my best.
1: Really happy. This is gonna take Cracker Jack timing, Way. One,
0: two, three. She may be trapped. Total concentration. Safety. Huh, yeah. You ready, Jack? I was born ready. Jack Burton's coming to rescue your summer. Hey, what more can a guy ask for? 20th Century Fox presents Kurt Russell. In John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China.
1: It's on the reflexes. So like I said, 1986, uh, it was directed by John Carpenter, the master, the one of the greatest directors in history. Um, it was written by uh, Gary Goldman and David Z. Weinstein. And then the technical credit here is adapted by W.D. Richter, the director of Buckaroo Banzai. Another connection that we have here. Interesting. Yeah. Um, now, with all due respect to mr Goldman and Weinstein, what I'm aware of is that their screenplay, which had an awesome title, Big Trouble in Little China, was significantly different than the movie that ended up getting made. Yeah, it was a period piece. Um, yeah, set... At turn of the century um it was basically a weird western um which is a pulp yeah that's right and uh jonah Hex, baby and mm-hmm. they um wd richter was brought on after the producers had disagreements with goldman goldman and weinstein to completely redevelop the film um and as john carpenter says really wd richter should have the screenplay credit um But also John Carpenter contributed significantly like he usually does to his projects. Uh, The movie is starring Kurt Russell, um, Kim Cattrall, uh, the wonderful Dennis Dunn, James Hong, who is brilliant, and of course, Victor Wong. Um, There's a real quick synopsis for the movie a rough and tumble trucker helps rescue his friend's fiance from an ancient sorcerer in a supernatural battle beneath Chinatown.
2: What a great fucking synopsis right there. One sentence. Yeah, it's a pretty you good pitch. It gets it all in there. But
1: it is missing some of the core things. And, you know, Dino, you were talking about Doc Savage. Um, and I think it's another connective tissue that all three of these movies have. All three of these movies feature a lead um whether it's remo williams whether it's buckaroo bonsai or whether it's jack burton who jack <laughs> burton me whether it's jack burton or any of these guys they have a team behind them mm-hmm. Um, some of them like in jack burton's case, and an
2: asian in their corner too hey
1: good point um yeah wow
3: Rubans I was. He's uh, half Japanese. Yes, so yeah, half
1: Japanese. And also uh isn't Dr. Dr
3: What's his name? Dr. Oh, uh Ito? Yeah, yeah,
2: Professor, yeah, no. Oh. I'm Akita-san. Akita-san. Akita-san yeah. yeah.
1: Um Robert Ito's the actor. That's right. Yeah. Um, thank yep. you. Yes. Judge Ito's uh brother. <laughs> so, uh but they they have a team behind them. In Jack Burton's case, it's a team that he kind of falls into as opposed to a team that is there um ready to back him up but uh, and Jack Burton is far less of a hero than any of the other people here he's the sidekick (laughs) he's really ultimately the sidekick in his mind he's the hero but that's kind of what makes the movie so fucking brilliant Um, that that is it Uh, he is a confident idiot who is fearless and that's his redeeming trait fearlessly goes into battle not really worrying about what the outcome is because his misplaced confidence always assumes he's going to get through it. Um, it's a movie that, just like both of the other films, rewards its viewer with repeat viewings. Um, it's also one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. Like I, this is I put it in my top tier greatest films ever made. It's a perfect film for me, but not everybody feels that way. Not everybody feels that way about hmm. Big Trouble in Little China. To, um, and Chris, why don't you go ahead and read to us um, what uh, one person felt in particular about this film. This
2: movie is awful. <laughs> so says <laughs> Klingro. <laughs> this is written 2006. Why are really bad movies being portrayed as ironic... Parody, intentional, etc. A movie from the 80s has rubber monsters and stupid lighting effects because it was intended to be a parody.
1: <laughs> I love how you read the question mark, exclamation, question mark. Well done. Years of training.
2: <laughs> no, because it was stupid, and because even if it was intended as a parody, I didn't had that feeling, and all I saw, well, 80%, couldn't last to the end, shoot me, okay. was a stupid movie. Yeah, the syntax is all oh, wrong. I'm sorry. I mean, I mean, that's at the least of this bitch's problem. English teacher in me going, oh my gosh. P.S. The guy from Midnight Caller is supposed to be Bruce Lee's lost son? Wow.
1: I'm not sure. I don't. I don't get it, but...
2: P.P.S. Hmm. Ten lines of text is the limit to this content. Let's see then. I wanted to stop, but looks like I'll have to go on. Oh, thank God. So, Kurt Russell, only spelled with one L, what's wrong with him? Why can't he stop looking like a dumb truck driver? Yes, excellent choice for this movie, except he drives the truck for 1% of its length and manages to bump it into all sorts of stuff. What an idiot! And why can't he refuse this sort of movies? Maybe because he's a bad actor? Who knows? Chinese black magic. Wow. I mean, wow. (laughs) Gods and hells, smoke and mirror, ancient traditions, and of course, big straw hats and spinning knives. Green-eyed girls. (laughs) Yum-yum. Wait. That's a plus for the movie. We're not here for that. I'm only allowing my ISP to bill me more for making fun of stupid movies. (sighs) Rubber monsters. I rest my case. Now it's time to scream, Objection, Your Honor! It was the 80s. Overruled. The 80s don't have to be all about stupid movies. If you can't make a scary monster, don't bother coming to work if you're a director slash special effects guy or whatever you have to do to get your name in the long name scroll at the end. The end.
1: Thank Christ. (laughs) Um, I did read the news that Klingro is dead. He died in a truck driving accident, so... I'm sorry, what? I'm just kidding. Look, this is the thing. The movie is... I think was when it came out very much ahead of its time. Uh, I don't really like saying that too much because that sounds kind of like, when you know, I'm looking over my shoulder here talking about a movie, but it's true. The movie is a blend of genres. John Carpenter's always wanted to make a Western. He never was given the opportunity to do one full-fledged. Aside from vampires, which, eh, this movie is the closest, I think, he ever got to making a... A Western. A weird Western. Yeah. Well, it's a mishmash. It's a weird Western slash chop movie. It's got everything in there that some of our favorite kind of kung fu movies have. Uh, There's nothing new going on. Like, let me correct myself there. There's nothing completely outlandish happening that if you are a fan of cinema outside of the United States you haven't really seen before Mm – this is done with a little bit more of a mm-hmm. budget and with actors that you can recognize and, and made by a, a very, very stylish filmmaker. It's, it, it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, and, and it's very, very funny. Why is it so great? Well, it's first and foremost, it's a Kurt Russell, John Carpenter team up. That's why.
2: Which this was number, what, four for them?
1: Well, Elvis, the made for TV movie.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, get out. I didn't know that, uh, Carpenter directed. Yeah. That. Okay. Um,
1: yeah. Uh, escape from New York. Mm-hmm. And The Thing. And so The Thing. So this would be number four, and yeah. certainly not their final either. Nope. Um, so right away, you've got a, a director and an actor who completely trust each other. And I don't know that there could be a better person cast for Jack Burton than Kurt Russell. <laughs> I just don't. I, I actually, we weren't able to ask, the, I forgot to ask you. Who your choice would be, Dino, for a remake of Buckaroo Bonsai? Wow. Who would who would be a good
3: <sighs> that is Doctor um, Bonsai? That is again, man. That's a, <laughs> these questions are tough. Mm-hmm. Um, man, that one. I hate to punt because I'm a coach, but sometimes you have to. Um, I would really have to give that one, um, some significant thought. Yeah, because it, it's. Look,
1: Chris spent all day on his, it, it's and a, he didn't get, he didn't have an answer it, either. <laughs> it, it,
3: it's because I mean, I threw some shit out there, but once again, I was, a, yeah, nothing he was committed st- to. It's yeah. a subtle performance. It is. If, that, if that, you know, because Buckaroo is very understated his yeah. role, you yeah. know, even though he could do all these amazing things. How about that Henry Golden guy? What's he been in?
2: Who was it? What is it? The Crazy Rich Asians movie that came out. He's the British guy named Henry Golden, oh, but he's half Asian. I'm just going with half okay. Asians. Because for Buckaroo Bonsai? Yeah, for Buckaroo Bonsai. I mean, the guy's got some chops. He's good looking. Chopsticks. Sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sophisticated.
1: That would be, if you were to ask me who would be a good uh, Jack Burton for the a remake, the answer is nobody. The Rock! You know? Like, it's, like, it's not... The, the thing, Rock! The thing about Dwayne Johnson is he's never going to fucking... Uh, he, he is never going to allow himself to be the fool he, he the, the oh, fatal I mistake that they, I mean, no I'm telling you I, I the fatal mistake that they would make is that they would give him something heroic to do and that is that is a huge mistake because Jack Burton's whole nature he is a hero but mm-hmm. he's just an incompetent one so also he's just, that's just no that's terrible that's a terrible choice um hey man he played Maui yeah okay but you know the answer is nobody for this just like I think a lot of these movies, it's it's kind of hard to put anybody, even Kurt's son, in, in this kind Wyatt. of role, you know? Like, it's just not really possible. Now I think Wyatt would be better Snake Plissken. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. What else this movie has? It's got a fucking kick-ass score, you guys. John Carpenter's score, like, at its best. Uh, and the Coupe de Ville's. Yep, yep, that's right. We'll get into that in a minute. Uh, in a few minutes, probably, realistically. Kim Cattrall at her prime. She's like the sexiest woman, but what's great about her in the movie is she's not the 80s trope, she's not completely helpless. She isn't given nothing to do. She's a lawyer. She's a she's a lawyer, but <laughs> she's she is she basically instigates a lot of the situation to happen. She thrusts herself into the situations, throws herself into danger, and is just the rapport between her and and kurt russell the two romantic leads is the chemistry is incredible uh between them um just the cat and mouse game that works really really well just happy to be alive <laughs> sorry just happy to be alive i mean it's it's great would you, would you stop rubbing up against me like that it's because kind of i can't concentrate when you do that there's a there's a chinese warrior society street brawl in the movie, in the very beginning of the movie. I mean, we're talking 10 minutes the Ching sings into the, the movie. That's right. Yeah. Um, and it's like old school, awesome, chop fight sequence uh, with a who's who of awesome Asian stuntmen. I mean, Al Leong, yep, uh, James uh, Liu. Is that the guy? Who's the, the big bald guy? That's Gerald Akamura. Okay. And he's he shows up with his bandolier and, and his six six six-shoots, two of them, like gold-plated <laughs> that he, like, puts his hands by and does the little finger, finger wiggle, you know, against yep. them. Uh, it, it's, and it's just such a cool sequence with with a completely incredulous Jack Burton and his buddy, his best friend Dennis Dunn's character sitting in the cab of this giant
2: What's happening? Truck. Chinese standoff. Don't
1: make a sound. It's so, and they're like coming and looking around in the cab and it's, and, but you know, Kurt Russell plays it great the whole movie. Cause he's completely like at the very beginning, he monologues kind of, and says this bit about like, we'd have to be foolish to think we're the only person, people in the universe, you know? So he's already, you know, he's got an open mind as much as he's kind of like a dumb bag of rocks about things. He's very open minded about the kind of crazy mysticism that comes about in this movie. Uh he just takes it at face value, even though it's bizarre, and he reacts to it accordingly, you know, with like, what what the fuck is going on here? And it's it 12 makes twelve
2: foot tall road blocks with light coming out of their eyes.
1: It's yeah. just yeah, it makes for a really great um uh character uh, avatar for the viewer you know just kind of go like yeah yeah i guess i would probably <laughs> want to think like that i wouldn't look as good as him in a tank top but that's true i'd want no hey fuck you man <laughs> <laughs> sorry i had to throw that in there after our earlier conversation
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's true uh this is true that is one of brandon's pet peeves yeah don't ever say that to me. great now everybody's any, anytime from here on people are going to come up well, to me you and go can always this, edit this is out. True. <laughs> um the Three Storms, man, there are, this is such a cool, pulpy thing. Um, there are these characters that show up in the street brawl called the Three Storms. You got uh, lightning, What? Who, who, who the fuck are they? What do you have? It's thunder, fl- lightning, and, and rain. rain. And um, they all have, like, awesome weapons that, like, crazy tiger claw things, uh, these weird, like, swords. Maybe, Chris, you know what they were, like, the swords that touch together yeah, make half a moon sw- swords. Okay, yeah. half moon swords and mm-hmm. then the spinning blades that are like rings that like just spin anyway. Insane. You you see these guys and you're like, "Oh shit." Yeah, yeah I don't want to fight those guys. And they ride the lightning too. They come Dude,
2: flying out of the lightning sky.
1: riding is going on in this movie and it is fucking incredible. You got James Hong, the wonderful character actor James Hong who by the way, the first movie I ever saw him in was Revenge of the Nerds too Snotty.
2: <laughs> yeah. Fuck the you, key asshole. The to hawking the ultimate loogie <laughs> is not to seek the flim of the throat, but of the soul.
1: And he's so funny in that. He's, like, smoking, holding his cigarettes like a Frenchman, like, smoking them down to the nubs. But he he is so good as Lopan, the evil warlord, emperor, uh, or uh, warlord, wizard, who gets two forms. One... Uh, giant a 10 foot tall roadblock Mm -hmm. and then the other one a 126 year old man in a wheelchair isn't he Um, a thousand years old or
2: two thousand years old
1: he he is incorporeal but in his his uh his human form it's not quite human because he's still not corporeal but like that's i think but no, I th- you're no maybe you're right. Maybe he is just straight up thousands of years old. Yeah. Um, and he's just so funny in that. Now, this really pisses me off to no end. <laughs> I mean, he's got like so lines. many great lines. Um, you're not put on this earth to get it, Mr. Burton.
3: You know that at shows, conventions, he dresses up in full wardrobe of that character and you can take pictures with him. That's incredible.
1: James Hong
2: is fucking low pan. Oh, yep. my God. 100%. I mean, I think that's badass and stuff like that. I would just want a fucking picture with James Hong.
1: Yeah, just regular James, regular,
2: regular old regular James Hong. James Hong. And, and, and it's like, dude, you will, don't have to fucking perform for me. He
3: enjoys it from well, what I can get. if it. he and enjoys he, it, then I'm not going to take he, that away from he'll, him. But. He'll offer to write an inscription in Chinese on your photo if you want. Mm-hmm. You know? I think one of his first roles was he played one of – in the TV show, he played um, – Like number six son? He played one of the sons, Lewis Carroll, of course a white guy playing a Chinese detective – uh but the James Hong played one of his, well, him his and sons
2: Kai Luke you know or Key Luke, mm-hmm. cuz he was number one son he was number one, with Warner Oland um,
3: yeah and then gosh i can't remember the other actor's name I, i'm a i love the trolley Sydney Green place. Street no yeah, it was no. Sydney Green Street no Sydney Green Street was uh, it was it was Warner Oland Sidney Polar, Sydney Polar, and um Roland Winters there we go but we digress Yeah, that's the kind of the point
1: of the show <laughs> <laughs> um it's always good to have a, a little uh break of not me well, talking so. you were
2: talking about the the three storms and i gotta bring yeah. this up too because the total look yes. and mm-hmm. concept of the three storms comes from actually this movie that i have in my hand right now it's a copy of 1972's lone wolf and cub baby cart and the river sticks and in this movie and actually in the manga that uh the, uh, the author, actually, because the, the man that wrote the manga also wrote the movie as well, and his name is uh, Koiki Kazuo, um, he created these characters called Benton Ray. And Benton Ray is actually the names of three brothers. There's, I can't even remember what all the names are, but, you know, they're just called Benton Ray, and they're okay. three bodyguards. And they dress in cloaks with big giant baskets, you know, basket hats on their head that are exactly the same type of basket hats that the Three Storms wear in Big Trouble in Little China. And as well as that, they also carry specialized weapons, much like those guys do, you know. So they're samurai, but, you know, one guy has you know, almost like Wolverine, Wolverine claws. claws yeah. One has like old Roman cestuses, which are like gloves that have those studs and stuff all over them. that you just beat people with. And then the third one carries like these studded clubs. clubs.
1: Mm-hmm. And, you know, John Carpenter is a student of film, a lover of film, just like everybody sitting here at this table, just like probably everybody listening to the show. And he really, you know, wears his influences on his sleeve. They're, they're apparent in everything that he Talent does
2: borrows genius steals.
1: Yeah. Well, he 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 stole appropriately, yes. uh, as far as I'm concerned. Because oh, it's
2: evocative. I mean, immediately, immediately,
1: you when you see these guys, you know, power. What's up. These guys are badass. You know, they're fucking you know awesome. Right they're awesome. Um, and they're a little goofy. Yeah, you know, there's like a goofy. There's a comic book nature to them, a pulp nature to them uh, that makes it so that it's not like a slog to sit through. You know, you're not like, oh, fuck, all hope is lost. Everything's a little, just a little skewed, a little goofy, um, as it should be. It titillates you. That's right. John Landis says that every movie is made instantly better by a man in a gorilla suit. Um, And (laughs) he might be right. This movie one-ups it by having a man in a giant ape monster suit. It's like a weird orangutan. Well, it's the
2: wild man. Actually, there's a Chinese legend about the wild man who lives in the mountains and sometimes will come out of the mountains and the people that live on the fringes. Of you know the cities and towns and stuff like that will steal them away. So it is kind of this cryptid thing, yeah. much like the Yeti or much like you know Sasquatch and everything. That's what the wild wow, is. Wow, so it is based in yeah. this and it kind Chinese war, yes,
1: absolutely. But it is a man in a fucking giant monster ape costume. Yeah, he and looks he awesome. looks
2: like a fucking yeah baboon from hell. Yeah, he, or I'm sorry, more like an orangutan, orangutan from, from hell. hell yeah, but
1: he's red. It's 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 pretty wild. It's basically, in case you guys didn't know, it's uh. Uh, Clyde from the Every Which Way But Loose. On crack cocaine. Yeah, smoked just nothing but crack and meth after his success. And, <laughs> and turned some steroids, into... too.
3: A sad Hollywood story. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> it's just unfortunate so his, and real. His,
2: he's got like a really bad case of micropenis. But, <laughs> but he could still rip your fucking arms off and make a right turn. Uh,
1: the movie follows the, the classic storytelling structure of the journey into the underground, um, which is so familiar in it's it's so significant in storytelling in general that it becomes like a kind of comfort food it's when you see it in a movie part of
2: the monomyth yeah,
1: yeah exactly it's very cambellian it's very much what um what storytelling 101 is and so that familiarity uh that's in the movie is there these guys journey into the mystic underground and encounter a variety of horrors that only the brave few will live to tell the tales of. And and that's just such a, a cool part of it. That said, uh, the production design of the film in general is incredible. Um, right down, you know, you got the underground lairs, you've got Lopin's uh, ha- warehouse to begin with, his actual building that descends into the underground. And then, of course, you have the giant showdown set piece, the temple with all the fucking neon
2: and an escalator man it's got an escalator oh my God. in it <laughs>
1: and it is so like while you go okay you can look at it and say whoa how 80s is that you can also go this is as slick and modern as it gets it looks it's such an awesome blend of old and new uh and i'm sorry but fucking neon never gets old to me i like i i want to see that in movies and storytelling more i want to see strips of neon lining a gigantic fucking skull with fangs every day that would make me very happy yeah. and of course i'll ask you is this one of the most quotable movies ever i mean we have three movies here tonight that are like some of the most more, some of the most quotable out of the cult 80s. films of
3: all time my my favorite line from that movie that I still remember uh, to this day because it, it grows. I, I feel good. You, you guys feel good. I feel good. <laughs> I feel like I can
4: uh, I can do anything.
2: Yeah, me too. I've got a really positive outlook. <laughs> Is it getting hot in here? <laughs> it's okay. I took something. I can see. Things. <laughs> Why are you dressed like that? uh it's got also i mean
1: seriously the lines in the movie are just unbelievably quotable uh it's got the a line that i use regularly well there's i mean there's a lot of them that i use on a regular basis but one of my favorites is they're underground they encounter uh jack burton gracie law uh, Dennis Dunn, like, his whole team is with him, uh, a, a, a group of these uh, these Chinese warriors, and they encounter <laughs> this floating, like, h- head-eyeball creature that's got, like, a bunch of eyeballs on it, including an eyeball in its mouth, and it's just this disgusting...
2: A guardian!
1: Yeah, it's... When it sees, Lopan knows. yes. And When Jack Burton sees <laughs> it, his response is like, what is that oh god please don't tell me and it's like the best (laughs) response to something he's just so disgusted by it he just shoots it (laughs) well you
2: never know until you try
1: (laughs) uh it's also got the great line hollow fuck it it's on the reflexes You just remember what old Jack Burton always says. What the hell? uh, What the hell? uh, What else? What's another uh, Jack Burtonism? um, Have you paid your dues, Jack? Yes, sir. The check's in the mail. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, the other favorite exchange of mine is um, he's talking to Lopan, and he goes, and Lopan's telling him his big plan about having a a Chinese girl with green eyes. And he goes, okay, and, and... so you want to sacrifice her and then live uh and rule the world from beyond the grave? And Lopin goes, "Indeed." Indeed he goes, "Or check into a psycho ward whichever <laughs> comes first, right?" And it's like his flippancy toward like this great emperor like wizard, he's like, "I don't know, nah, you know," and he's like, "Oh, give me a break. 2000 years you haven't found a girl. You must be doing something wrong." <laughs> <laughs> he's very and, and, and Lopin's response is like okay yeah there have been other girls you know it's very much like okay yeah the whole thing for like a thing that I just love about it is like his infallible Jack Burton's fearlessness and infallible attitude he's in way over his head the whole movie and yet he he never loses faith in what he's able to accomplish and do even if he doesn't do it um, or accomplish it himself it still somehow gets done and that's a really kind of like positive positive. and awesome he's still outlook. held
2: in like high regard too i mean the whole prologue to this movie that they do at the very beginning which was an afterthought on the part of the studio which frankly i kind of like it I, I like the prologue dude the movie. it feels
1: like actually see it's weird you say that's an afterthought because i always am like that's john carpenter right there yeah that's like a John Carpenter thing, where he opens it with this mystery scene of like this weird prologue. Do you know where Jack Burton is? We leave Jack Burton alone. It showed great courage. They lo- and he does. We it's, are in his debt. It's it's what's awesome. You know the reason why. You, what you just said. The reason why he is so respected and loved is by his his friends, his peers, is because he is a man of integrity. Yeah, and he he always follows through and he's a he's a ultimately a, a good man maybe he's a horn dog. maybe he's, he's a bit of a jackass a bit of a jackass he's, he's loyal doesn't know how to fire an uzi it's the first time you ever plugged somebody course not
2: yeah it's a tech nine
1: yeah you know it's the first time he's probably ever killed anybody <laughs> yeah he's yeah. like N- no <laughs> <laughs> the the mashup of the movie is just incredible i i love seeing the western like I said, chop sake mashup thing is it's so much fun tying that in with like the Chinese mysticism um, and the spooky nature and the again, serious stakes here. It feels like some shit's going to go down and it takes that threat very seriously. And I, I really love that. I love the over uh, the top fight scenes. It feels like the best kind of kung fu movie to me. And the way they're shot, too, because I mean, here's here's the other thing is that
2: when you have for lack of a better term, Western directors trying to do Eastern style martial arts and everything like that there. They shoot so much fucking coverage and do so many fucking rapid cuts within the fight itself that you never get to see what the fucking fight looks like. Really? It, there's, there's nothing, you know, and that's something that Eastern directors, you know, don't do at all. Mm-hmm. They do these big, wide establishing shots. It's my
1: favorite thing about those old movies is if you watch them in that widescreen mm-hmm. ratio, um, you know, the cinemascope vision that those, um, movies were shot in, uh, the Shaw brothers, Shaw, Shaw scope or whatever it was. Yeah. It's, it's like just to take in that fight scenes. It's incredible. You know, you're
2: actually getting to watch you're the You're getting progression to see the, the real
1: choreography, the real skill in the dance. I will say that John Carpenter does it to a uh, modern version of that. I feel that it's. His cutting again is—it feels very modern. The editing, the way that he shoots it, it's not. While he uses the widescreen cinematography and composition,
2: but there's a lot of close-ups of reactions to the action. That's right. Instead of it's like you know, oh fist, you know, and just it's this hodgepodge jumble of shit instead. While you don't get like big, long, sweeping, you know, wide shots and everything, you'll get an established back and forth, you know, kind of at a, a wide or a medium. And then all of a sudden he goes into these great close ups. But it's like, you know, a good close up that you get a good long reaction out yes. of people. Like yes. the one that I think of is like when when uh, when Wang Chi at the end is fighting lightning no rain rain fighting rain rain. and that whole fight scene there and you know it's it's shtick
1: you know because basically when
2: she's jumping in the air and flying yeah exactly i
1: mean it's wire foo before it really ever existed um at least in 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 the western world yeah i mean it's got a real modern vibe to it um it's got a great chemistry between the leads. There's like a wonderful subversion of cliche that I, I love. I, I, if you haven't seen it, you know. Uh, sorry, but th- like I love the spoiling of. I mean, sorry, sorry to spoil. I love that it's not typical, like the ending with the guy, the guy getting the girl. Like he basically gets her, but opts not to because. Aren't he's... you going
2: to even kiss her goodbye?
1: No. And it's great because it doesn't seem like he's being a dickhead. It's just kind of like... Sooner or later, he rubs everybody the wrong way. That's right. That's right. I'd go in with you, but I know there's a problem with your face. Um, (laughs) But then, of course, the crowning achievement of the movie, and let's not fucking kid ourselves, is the Coop DeVille's Big Trouble in Little China theme song. (laughs) (laughs) Written and performed by John Carpenter, Nick Castle... And Tommy Lee Wallace, the Coupe de Ville's, and it's like the best stupid fucking 80s song that was on MTV, and they made a music video for it, and it's like the coolest stupid song ever, and I sing it all the time.
3: I I am shocked that this movie is directed by John Carpenter, because in my mind... When I think of John Carpenter, obviously I think of all the horror stuff. Yeah, that's what he's known for. And that's not to say he's a a one-trick pony. Most directors aren't. They kind of, you know, get to be known for something, and the studio throws money at you and say, "Make more of this." Obviously, he has a wide palette, as most creative people do. I I am, I guess, I'm tickled that this is a John Carpenter movie because it's it's not. If if someone doesn't know Big Trouble in Little China, say who directed it, they're not going to pull John Carpenter out of a hat. Sure,
1: sure. I see. I see what you're saying.
3: Yeah, you know, so to me, my favorite John Carpenter movie is is Halloween. Mm -hmm. Because to me, that's the scariest horror movie because it could happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, This is so far out of his wheelhouse, but yet done so well, so well made. It just goes to show you what a great, true filmmaker he truly is. And he absolutely appreciates Kung Fu Cinema absolutely appreciates uh, samurai movies on Lone Wolf and Cub, which I watched The last one in the movie series just last week. Really? FYI, oh, okay. love Lone Wolf and Cub. I'm rewatching them now. Yeah, tremendous, tremendous stuff. Uh, it, it just and also
1: clearly a lover of pulp,
3: 100. Oh, no doubt. I mean, if no any, doubt,
1: <laughs> like that's clearly his favorite thing ever. I mean, mm-hmm. when you think about his his. You know, resume. We think about Big uh, Escape from New York, um, Assault on Precinct Assault on Precinct Thirteen. 13. It's yes. all exploitation, absolutely, gentlemen, um, and just done with a, a masterful eye. I mean, for a guy who who really just wanted to be his generation's Howard Hawks or John Ford, um, the one thing that he did differently and and honestly better was he gave his films a very unique identity that both of those directors um, never really did uh, as strongly as John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just because he put his name above the title for everything, but because his movies... So what you said, Dino, about like if you didn't know and you you found out that he directed it, if you were to watch the movie you would you you know that it's him mm-hmm. you know you see it, it you feel it his aesthetic is fundamentally imprinted in not just the the way the movie is shot presented but the 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 essence of it the way it was mm-hmm. written and and shaped and um cast and everything and i think it's a, a a wonderful distillation of what a talented brilliant director john carpenter is it's a shame Another thing that this movie has in common with all three of these movies is that people just didn't fucking get it. Mm-hmm. It didn't make any money. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was another blow uh, to John Carpenter's um, career. Um, just like what he had been doing prior. Everything you know that he put his heart and soul in kind of bombed at the box office and really kind of derailed something special i think because i know that it affected his his psyche the fact that he had the thing which is supposed to be the big movie for him you know b- break him and that he follows it up with a a workman product like christine and then you know spends some time getting big trouble off the ground and and, and doing it and making Was it, it starman in between starman then? comes and starman at least you know got some academy award stuff and made some money but it's again it doesn't feel like it's it. It feels like he's pulling a John Ford in that regard. Like he's yeah. just being a workman like wow. director yeah. as opposed to an auteur, which is a you know we all know it's a term I, I'm not a fan of. But he really do, is he really is an auteur filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the last truly That's why great. He
2: puts his name above the title.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He negotiated that very early on mm-hmm. in his career, and and he, he he's right. I mean,
3: he should. I, I enjoyed Starman a lot. I did at the time. But to your point, it was kind of a generic. Yeah. Science fiction movie. I mean, and, and any director was uh, <laughs> him it.
2: paying amends for. Yeah, he's yeah, in the like can, he was I going can... through the motions. Yeah,
1: exactly. You want
2: nice aliens? Okay, fine. I'll give mm-hmm. you a nice fucking. Mm-hmm. Alien. And,
1: and it, it sh- I think it shows <laughs> because it's not a movie that gets repeat viewing for me. Just like Christine doesn't. Just mm-hmm. you know, you can tell where his heart's in it and where his heart's not. Oh, and that's great. why his you know au- you know, after really 1988, his last 80s film, which is They Live, kind of starts to to crumble um as far as the um how much you really truly enjoy it goes Mm -hmm. because you can tell that he probably doesn't really enjoy what he's doing as much big trouble little china is another example of him going i'm putting my heart and soul into this movie and it unfortunately did the business that it did but the good news is is like all three of these movies, it, it, it lives on and it continues to reward upon repeat viewing. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll finish up here just by saying some uh, Dead City tallies. Um, we got a killer score. We got uh, Street Gangs and Shades, <laughs> which is fucking awesome. They look so cool. Um, you got Hong Kong Kung Fu. You got Scary Mystic Magic. Um, you got a brothel destruction. Chinese girls do not come with green eyes. That And that, that scene is great. Like, boy, it really is raining cats and dogs out there. My
2: name's Henry Swanson.
1: Henry Swanson's my name. And <laughs> what does he say? Something's my game. I forget. He's he's such a dork in that scene. Um, you got, uh, you said it earlier, lightning riding, yeah. which doesn't get better than that. You If you make a, fu- I'll tell you what, if either of you guys make an entrance on lightning,
3: I'll suck your dick. Uh, I'm not going to be making an interest on life. Okay. Soon.
1: <laughs> I, I made that statement because I don't think it's possible. I'm thinking here. about it. <laughs> you're trying to work
4: <laughs>
1: Do something to close that mouth up. You got glowing wizard skin, which is actually really frightening. And it's a great Steve Johnson uh, yeah. effect. Underwater skeletons. Every movie is made better immediately with ske- underwater skeletons. You got Kim Cattrall in a wet t-shirt and get the Blu-ray. Uh, because, again, we're talking Prime Kim Control here. We're not talking Sex in the City bullshit. Eight Monsters, Mm -hmm. Floating Eyeball Creature. Oh, God, what is that? Please don't tell me. You got the hell of being cut to pieces, the hell of boiling oil. I don't know if this is right. Is it the hell of the upside-down... Sinners. Sinners, thank you. A lot of Uh, hell. The Chinese have many hells. Mm. The hell of
2: paper cuts and lemon
1: juice. (laughs) The hell of boiling oil. Are you kidding? Yeah, I'm just kidding. It says keep out. A giant sewer demon... That comes out and, and Victor a Wong guy. throws a bomb at it and goes, he won't be back. And he's like, what? What won't be back? <laughs> it will come out no more. <laughs> oh, that's it. What will come out no more? Again, just incredulous, but let's move forward. What um, is that?
2: Black blood of the earth. What do you mean oil? No, black blood of the earth. <laughs>
1: Uh, flying sword duels yes uh, you got a giant neon fanged skull yes you got a wizard battle laser light yes. show yes good versus evil with two different colors mm. of uh, optical effects including um, <laughs> uh, little pinkies crossed and thumbs like a video game that's a James Hong James Hong you know yeah. ad lib you know
2: you never could beat me action
1: <laughs> he's just such a funny like creepy villain you got Knives Through Skulls. Hell
2: yeah. It's all in the
1: reflexes, man. You got a, a self-inflation explosion. Carter
2: Wong, which is something we didn't talk about that. One of Hong Kong cinema's great movie stars. Yeah. And,
1: you know. And he, he has a great role. Yes. <laughs> I can help you. If, <laughs> ends the movie on Earthquake. Yeah. And I, we all know I love a, a good Earthquake. And, again, I'm thrown to the Coupe de Ville's with the best exit music ever big trouble
2: in little china
3: you can feel the heat rising baby i'll just say you will
0: and out of the darkness oh, oh, all and See, the thing, told yeah.
1: you he liked it <laughs> <laughs> i don't really know the words but i'll just could have fooled me <laughs> <laughs> i sing that around the house yeah uh,
2: with no pants on
1: yep big trouble in little china i like jizzed in my pants talking about it just now. I apologize to you guys because um, it's flooding the room. I <laughs> can't stop. Can't stop. Alright, so this is the part of the show where I want to play a little game. Um, this is a new game. A new game? Yeah. Uh, this is a game that I call Pulp or Fiction. Ooh. Basically what I've done is uh, I've amassed a, a list of um, Doc Savage, the, the Man of Bronze, Man of Bronze, the first and foremost pulp hero. When you think of pulp heroes, that's who you go to. Am I right, Dino?
3: That or the Shadow? Eh,
1: fuck the Shadow.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Just the fuck inspiration Alec for Baldwin. Batman. <laughs> you, know.
1: you know, Sam Raimi tried to make the Shadow.
3: Could- that's that's what that's what Dark Man became. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he would have done a great job.
1: Um, and I've got some of these are real Doc Savage titles. And some of these are, and those would be pulp. And some of these are made up by me, and they would be the fiction. Um, and it's up to you guys to guess which one is which.
3: Well, shit. So titles of Doc Savage no, That's okay. right. Uh, right.
1: And the winner gets $1 million from me. I write a check for my personal fortune. Awesome. And uh, that, by the way... Similarly, I acquired because my father found a large stash of Aztec gold and we I are understand. now living off of it to this day for
3: forever. <laughs> let me let me just preface this contest by saying I own every issue of the pulp reprints. I own every edition of the new series that they've done. And I'm the proud owner of an original Doc Savage Street and Smith. Number one. So I'll if probably you, get my ass kicked. If now, you but, lose this
1: game, you're going to look like a fucking loser.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Situation normal.
1: Okay. Um, so here we go. Pulp or fiction. I'm going to preface it by saying or, every title starts with Doc Savage here. Okay. Just for mm-hmm. aesthetic sake. Here we go. Doc Savage. Devil's sack. Is that pulp or fiction? Chris? Fiction. Fiction. It is fiction. Very good, you guys. You didn't weren't fooled by the devil's sack, huh? All right. Doc Savage, the running skeletons. Pulp or fiction? Pulp. 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 That is correct. A mysterious dog and a brazen showgirl lead Doc and his crew to a mad patriot, turning men into living skeletons.
3: <laughs> You're going to have a dog and a showgirl in it. Doc
1: Savage, the squeaking goblin. Pulp or fiction? Pulp. Pulp. That is correct. Holy shit, you guys. This is a tie. The squeaking goblin, a coon-skin-clad ghost, fires disappearing bullets from a rifle that squeaks, killing without mercy, then disappears himself. Doc and a screw scour the Kentucky mountains to prevent a hillbilly feud from becoming a call-out war. Um, Doc Savage, toadstools of death. Pulp or fiction? I'm going to say Fiction. Fiction. That is correct. I made that one up, too. Doc Savage, the feathered octopus. Chris? I'm going to say pulp. Pulp. That is correct. The monstrous financial manipulator Hylar, his wife Lolar, and their gang execute <laughs> a Lord dangerous plot. Is that a
3: comic strip?
2: <laughs> <laughs> my boy, my boy, high Drucker. and low. <laughs> it's high and low. Yeah, hey, I bet hey, hey. mocking,
1: yes, I know. <laughs> Doc Savage, The Giggling Ghosts. Pulp or fiction, Chris? I'm going to say fiction. Okay. Pulp. The correct answer is pulp. Um, Dino would know. Fear of ghosts that give people the giggles becomes a terrifying reality to people already threatened by earthquakes. The Society for the Relief of Gas Victims claims to have the cure for the giggles, but the ghosts seem poised to have the last laugh. I'm going to tell you if I release this gas right now, you all are going to giggle. <laughs> and, <out>. and die. <laughs> okay. Um, Doc Savage, the doom dump. Fiction. Fiction. That is correct. Uh, Doc Savage, this fist, your face. <laughs> Fiction. It would make a great title, but it's fiction. Okay. Uh, Doc Savage, The Squirting Viper. I'll say Pulp. Fiction. That is fiction. And finally, Doc Savage, Spookhole. (laughs) Uh, Pulp. Pulp. It is Pulp. The trail of a one-armed man of mystery leads Doc and his crew to the far reaches of South America and a fabulous secret hidden treasure on the Pan- Patagonian island known as Spookhole. Well, um... Beat me by two, man. Beat by two. Well done. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, the I still feel ch- pretty good. <laughs> yeah, you <good. laughs> <good>. Fantastic. <clears throat>
3: I mean, um, feathered octopus. That's uh you got to know Doc Savage <laughs> to get that. There are some wild Doc yes. Savage titles,
1: yeah. uh, and and the bylines for them all. I mean, I'm like I've got to have all of them and read them all because I I'm so into it. Um,
3: uh, you are welcome tomorrow from the Coach Dino Leto Library. Oh, thank you. Anytime you wish. I have two sets. So nice, nice. And, and, <laughs> one to we'll play, one to collect, one to read. Uh, you know, I have a good run of the Shadow. Not all. I have The Complete Avenger, which was also created um, by um, Lester Dent, Doc Savage's uh, author. And Weird Tales, Weird Stories, um, all kind of – I have a pretty extensive library that I have a lot of fun reading.
1: And your address is? Unknown. (laughs) Tell everybody. Unknown. (laughs) Um, You guys, don't look now. But we have to program a double feature here, and there are three excellent movies. We can only pick two. And I got to tell you, we talk about this a lot. How are we going to pick? This is the one episode that we've done of this show so far out of 3,068 episodes that we've done that I am legitimately torn on how to pick the best double feature with. I'm going to go ahead, that said, and I'll just go ahead and go first. Okay. I... Came into this thinking that maybe it would be cool to do a W.D. Richter kind of thing here. Like a double feature W.D. Richter thing. So I'm going Buckaroo Banzai, Big Trouble in Little China. Let's start with B's. But the problem here is that it's not a W.D. Richter double feature. It's a Pulp Heroes double feature. <sighs> And I think that I th- I think that I my choice my final choice would have to be um start with Remo Williams and end with Big Trouble in Little China um, that would be my preferred double feature here if only because and I, again torn here but if only because. The outlier, in my mind, would be the science fiction film, which would be Buckaroo Banzai. I feel like there is a a kinship um, in the uh, real-world real tone of Remo Williams and Big Trouble in Little China. And that's why, ultimately, those are the two for me. So that's my choice. From there, we go to the esteemed Dino.
3: Well... Of all three, tremendous flicks, no doubt. Uh, Obviously, Buckaroo Banzai is going to top the bill for me. Yeah. You know, pulp, the cool thing about pulps is you can do science fiction. You can do horror. You can combine them both, both of them. That's Uh, a very good point. Look at Alien. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, a pulp isn't one particular genre. It's a mashup of many genres. And they're all great movies and certainly Remo Williams, the destroyer, is the descendant of the classic pulps of the 30s and 40s. There, there's no doubt about that. But I I think because both Buckaroo Banzai and Big Trouble, you know, you've got aliens, you've got magic, you've got fights, you've got shooting, you've got, you know, uh, beautiful women that get involved in the adventure. You've got tremendous supporting casts of characters that are specialists in different uh, areas of expertise. So for me, it would be Big Trouble in uh, Little China. Buckaroo Banzai followed by Big Trouble in uh, Little China because we have to remember one quick thing about the pulps. Though Doc Savage ran 181 adventures... All characters didn't do that. Some characters in pulp ran two, three issues, six, you know, issues, what have you. So certainly, uh, a character like Kurt Russell's, you know, could easily appear in six issues of Argosy Magazine. Yes. And then you may not see that character anymore, but he had a great six-issue run. Yes. So that's that's going to be my choice. It's going to be Buckaroo Banzai and Big Trouble and Little China for my double feature.
1: Okay, Chris. Here we go, man. All right. I don't envy your position here. Well, I'm just going to say what I'm going to say, and then somebody else can figure out the math. We'll call Jamie and she'll
2: sort it all out, right? Um, (laughs) I think uh, I'm going to have to go with my own personal choice of Remo Williams, simply because uh, it is out of all of these pieces, rather than being a distillation you know new interpretation of the pulp mythos and everything it actually has that same trajectory bloodline Bloodline. because I mean it was a series of paperback novels yeah pulp novels you know it's not something I mean that's where it came from that's where it began so I I think true to its bones it is a pulp phenomenon you know like what is it Mac Boland and you know all that other stuff as well um And then I'm going to have to probably go with Buckaroo Banzai because I think that, you know, your your, your case of it being a new wave Doc Savage, you know, I think that we've got to kind of touch on that, too. Um, It is more kind of focused on kind of the heroes. These are pulp heroes as where I think Big Trouble in Little China is more like a... Pulp situation,
4: mm.
2: yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, granted, you mm-hmm. know, Jack Burton is larger than life and everything, but uh, he's a nincompoop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, the, the truth through <laughs> this, sure, and yeah. In the, in the pulp tradition, you know, these are you know. Burly, you know, (laughs) strong, gritty men and everything. And really, I think that uh, that kind of plays a little truer with Buckaroo Banzai because he is the scientist and the adventurer and everything. And yes, okay, he is kind of new wave-ish and stuff like that. But it really he's a badass because he's good at everything. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's more in line with it. So uh, I would say that we would probably start off with... uh, Start off with Rima Williams
1: and end with Buckaroo bonsai so that means we're
2: are we in a deadlock we're in again?
1: a fucking tie, and we have not addressed how we settle this yeah we do we rush on both and we gotta do we gotta come up with something that is like so did you did you
2: uh did you like chart this out here okay, so you've got. Big Trouble in Little China.
1: Yeah. If I go... So, look. Uh, you know, I write down Big Trouble here, uh-huh. okay? We've got um, Buckaroo Banzai uh-huh. and uh, Remo Williams. Yeah, Williams okay. All right, And I had one for Big Trouble and, and one, one, for... one for Remo. Uh-huh. You had one for Big Trouble and one, one for, for Buckaroo, Buckaroo. Banzai. Uh-huh. And then Chris, you had one for uh Remo and one for Buckaroo Bonsai. That's a fucking dead, <laughs> stupid fucking tie and we have not properly we, we never addressed
2: sorted this out. I got a we? note,
1: by the way, from a listener of the show mm-hmm. uh whose opinion I respect, who said you guys need to figure out a way to do your tiebreakers um so that we give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> holy shit i mean we can't we have to pick two we can't do three yes we cannot we will not we will be in serious trouble from the driving gods okay
3: so let's remove emotion from it and look at it analytically um
1: i guess it's like yeah somebody's gonna have to change a vote right what
3: what well, no, well, I don't know that a boat needs to be changed, compelling but, arguments but what, are here. The, what are the merits of the movie? Um, Buckaroo Banzai won an uh, award for top VHS sales or rentals, okay? Mm-hmm. So won an award. Um, Remo Williams was nominated was nomin- for two awards. Right, was nominated. What did the Big Trouble scoop up anything, to your Any knowledge? Saturn Awards?
1: I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> i can't I can't go with a with merit because um I just don't know that it worked. The only thing I can think okay, all right, I'll tell you I will tell you I, I think it's gonna i think I'm gonna change my vote i do nobody likes a quitter brandon well, I think I have to I think we've gotta do something so but but also um. Dino, your your explication, your reasoning for your choices, really, uh, like, legitimately, made me kind of question my choice, my choices. Mm-hmm. Your the statement of pulp can be a mishmash of everything, and my argument being. One of these things is not like the other because of a science fiction angle is probably unfair. Um, well, we we in, talked in, prior
3: to this, the show, about Buck Rogers. Right. And that's a pulp. Right. That's 100% right. A pulp.
1: So, so I, I think I'm going to change my vote. I think I'm going to change my vote to... I, I, like I'm, I, I'm keeping Big Trouble in Little China, but I think I'm going to change my vote from Remo Williams to Buckaroo Bonzai. You're um, just
2: saying that because we got a fake Asian in there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, look, that's a great balance—fake Asian and a real Asian. We, we, we well,
2: have, honestly, you know,
3: I, you know,
1: but then again, Buckaroo
2: Bonzai, we have a fake
3: two, so we too. have two fake Asians. If we want to get down, oh, to. oh wow,
2: it.
1: you're right. But still. Well,
2: this is not a fake, fake Asian as opposed to a full fake Asian. <laughs> I think okay. I will I will bow out and I will say okay. Buck Roo Bonsai Eye and Big Trouble in Little China because it's also alliterative and for the English teacher in me, I like the sound of B and B.
1: Yeah. Okay. So then now let's say, what's the order? How do we order this? But you want to know something? Yeah, I do.
2: <laughs> Rima Williams will return. He will return.
1: Yes, dude. <laughs>
2: The adventure Uh, will continue. I love
1: it. I love
2: it. So I will take Remo Williams out now. But guess what? That means that he does not go in the vault where these two movies will go in the vault. Yeah. Where at some other point we're going to have something where you're going to say, God damn it, Big Trouble in Little China would have been perfect for that.
1: And then we're going to have to do another show where we listen to you talk about Remo Williams. Yep.
3: Absolutely. (laughs) Intrinsically, you're correct. That's because Remo Williams did return. They did a pilot, mm-hmm. yeah, where there's not been another follow up to Big Trouble or Buckaroo. Mm-hmm.
1: So, what's our order here? How do we do this? Uh, my here's my pit, my choice for the order. Then I would say start with Big Trouble, get everybody on board, and then um, lean it well. I think, really, I mean, I
2: mean, I'm sorry, I think that that uh, that Buckaroo Monzai is definitely the weirder of the two. Yeah. And I think it's always good to kind of get your audience warmed up like you said and then hit them with the weird afterwards. Yeah, you get the midnight
3: screening of Buckaroo Banzai. I don't know, guys. I mean, you know, Big Trouble is pretty damn weird. Yeah, it is. It is. My my thought process would be, at least to my mind, Buckaroo Banzai is a little slicker than Big Trouble. Big Trouble kind of has a little bit of a rougher edge to it. Hmm. I, think I don't know. I think that there was definitely more
2: slime in, uh, in <laughs> Big Trouble in Little China. So
3: that's I would I would go you know Buckaroo and, and then you know Big. Well, I will tell you what, that.
2: bitches, why don't y'all y'all sort this shit out? Because I backed my movie out. So fuck y'all.
1: Yeah. Well, honestly, I I do. <laughs> I think I'm I would go. I think I would start for the the, the big. I, I think Big Trouble is the way to start it, just to prime your audience for the weirdness to come. Um, and then you got your crazy midnight showing, mm-hmm. basically, of mm-hmm. uh, Buckaroo Banzai for those those devout fans that. People
2: bring out their watermelons. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that that's the order. I think the Driving I Gods like would be very, very pleased with that. I have no that.
3: problem with that, uh, you know, because the good part is you get to watch both them.
1: That's album. right. That's right. So, all right. I guess. Um, I guess maybe I shouldn't have uh, <laughs> torn all these awesome magazines up and uh and mixed them in with stagnant water and expired glue I stole from an orphanage. Is that Elmer's glue? Yeah. Wait or uh, no wait. Are they Hold on. Are they a sponsor? No, Brandon.
2: That glue is water soluble. Your big plan was to paper mache the roof in time for the next storm. What are you trying to say, Chris? The acid rain would eat right through the paper and glue. You would have wasted those magazines for no reason, and we'd still be up Shit Creek. Okay, okay,
1: point taken. Look, maybe that uh, gizmo that uh, John Stockwell and Fisher Stevens left, uh, left here can help. Well, it'd either create a force field vortex or... Summon dinosaurs and
2: mutants to run around all willy nilly around the drive in.
1: (laughs) So, typical Friday.
2: Good point. Let's try it.
1: Well, that wraps up another episode of Dead City Drive In. Uh, I'd like to thank our guest, Dino Leto. Thank you so much for being here, my friend. Great fun, guys. Great fun. This was was excellent. I loved hearing. Yes. Once again, I am Brandon Windish. And
2: I'm Chris Holcomb. And remember, at this drive in, if the cars are rocking, it doesn't mean someone's fucking. They're probably getting murdered. You can feel the heat burning, baby. And say then they well. take us away. Take us away.
0: We big, got big trouble.
2: And little Gina. <laughs> <laughs>
0: 17 not admitted without parent.